Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. Over 911. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, the ghost face with the most face, Justin Gerber. We are back for our coverage of Scream 3. That's right. There was so much to talk about with Scream 3 in our first episode. <laughs> that much like Scream 2, we didn't even get to the characters. And we're going to have to do that in this episode. So this will be an abbreviated introduction Hopefully, you've already listened to part one of our Scream 3 coverage and are now joining us for part two of part three. I hope that follows okay. <laughs> Everybody, let's go around and introduce, us, introduce ourselves real quick. Once again, I'm Justin Gerber, and in the south side of Chicago... Mike, do drop Vanderbilt. And in the <laughs> north side of Chicago... Michael, my lawyer, liked that still. <laughs> Rothman. And outside of Chicago... <laughs> this is Jennifer Jolie Adams. And we are ready to rock and roll with the characters, much like Jennifer Jolie is a character in Scream 3. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Let's talk about the real mean character of Scream 3, and not, to, not Jennifer Jolie. I'm talking about the murderer in a section that we call Thick Fucks. It's a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right, you die. You're crazy, both of you. Okay, so this movie's a little different because instead of two killers, <laughs> there's one killer. I loved it. I thought that was a nice touch because I thought they, you know, becoming too much of a, uh, what do I want to say, like, too obvious that there would be two yeah, killers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Sure, I agree, sure. yeah. I don't like what they did with it, but that's, I do like the, the fact that there is one, yeah. Okay, here's some notes on... Scott Foley's character, Roman Bridger. Now, Roman Bridger is the writer-director of Stab 3 Back to Woodsboro, which is the movie that's in production. We learn a lot through footage, through extended monologues, about Roman's reasons for becoming this killer. He, we find out that he is actually the son of Maureen Prescott, who uh, I guess she abandoned to kind of escape the nightmarish life that she was living in Hollywood. And he goes to confront her years later, and she basically rejects him and says, you know, I've moved on with my life. I don't want to be reminded. Then we learn, as was always written, I'm sure, <laughs> that he's actually the one that kind of prodded, Stu, and it was something I always forget, by the way. Uh, he's the so one that bad. prods Stu and, and Billy into, I'm sorry, he, he prods Billy into killing Sydney and, and Roman's mother, because he's got footage of the affair, and he kind of convinces him to get Stu involved so he can be a fall guy. 
just the retconning of that uh-huh. original. It reminds so me of like Spider Man Three. Like, yes. uh-huh. it's just why it's like I think Vanderbilt might have mentioned it before, but it's like why wouldn't Billy and Stu? They're so confessional in that first movie. They wouldn't have said, "Oh yeah, your fucking brother." Mm-hmm. And like they would want us throw that in her face. Like it just I don't know. It seems stupid. It's it's yeah. just, just wait it's, for the Scream not- special edition where they they <laughs> oh. put that line in there. Oh, God, mm. no, it's yeah. like. At the very when when Billy's explaining everything, they'll they'll just have like an insert shot of Got Foley like I was the one that told them to yeah. do like pop up video style. Oh yeah. god. <laughs> or like the, how they down to TikToks the people will just be in front of a screen. Like it'll just be Oh god. I will say strangely enough, Jen, I'm interested in your take on this. There's a lot of uh marine blaming mm-hmm. going on in the stream movies, right? Sorry, I'm going to just pull my uh, soapbox on. Yes, please. I I want to give you time to get it out of the closet, get it ready to go here. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ironically enough, Roman. He's not mad at it. (laughs) He's mad at everybody. Mm, Sorry. But Roman, when he's got Milton, you know, he's about to kill John Milton. Not, of Mm -hmm. course, the famed writer, but the director. He does say that it's actually Milton's fault. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. For what he did to Maureen that affected her behavior. It's such a toss away. Yep. Yeah. Gotta blame it on a woman. Yeah. But no, yep. he, he blamed, no, but I'm saying he actually does blame it on Milton. Now, okay, so do you think that Milton is actually his father? That's what, That's what I, I always thought, but now I feel like it's just one of the people that she met at the party. And I mean, right? I guess like it doesn't really matter because he is the instigator. Yeah, the thing that makes me so mad, and I apologize for yelling earlier, is that <laughs> he should be the focus of. Mm-hmm. His, Roman's rage. He is the one who caused all of this, but yeah. like the entire franchise, it is all blamed on Maureen. And it's not even just Roman. It's like the way this movie is written. Mm-hmm. And like when they're talking about the flashbacks of Maureen, like they even throw in that line about saying she's not as hot as Sharon Stone. Like, You've, I mean, and even Sydney, when she's talking to her father, says all this, I, she, she's like, I can't stop thinking that this, no, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for. Exactly. It's the fact that my mom hadn't been gang raped in this terrible thing. It's like there's no compassion for Maureen throughout the franchise. And it drives me bonkers because like she is a a victim, you know, and all of like and that's what I do love about Sydney's one of Sydney's final lines is like you do this because you choose to like it's not because of Maureen. It's not because like because I mean, look, a child of rape, it is understandable that a woman might not want to keep that baby like Mm -hmm. that's not that's not a moral failing on her part. And I mean, clearly she didn't get help for any of this because nobody in her family knew about it. Like, I just imagine what her life would have been like promiscuity oftentimes can be a result of a sexual assault. Like a lot of this, when you look at it in the framing of she was a victim of this, this assault, like her entire life makes sense. And so I think there's Mm -hmm. a really interesting story to tell about how like the lingering or the ripple effects of this kind of one incident kind of affect so many different people. I think that's interesting. I just don't think that's the story that the franchise itself is interested in telling. You no. Know? And, and the problem I think is that like Roman just becomes, I mean, Maureen at this point, her whole story that they build on and this this whole mystery there is just so sidelined for just a cheap revelation. Yeah. You know? And oh, like God. that's and even the way they say it too. Yeah. Well, even the way it's executed. I mean, just think about the scene. So you're finding out about some of the most harrowing details and it's like, Cross cut with like Scooby Doo style action with like, you know, fucking David Arquette and Courtney Cox trying to get in and they have the, all the ADR with them screaming in the background. And it's just like, 
it's so chaos. Like this whole final act is just such a meandering mess. And I, you know, I hinted earlier about like how I feel like they could have reconstructed. I'll get that in a second. But when you watch it now, it's just like it's so mishandled. Like it's mm-hmm. so fucking mishandled. Well, and and, I even point out earlier on in the, in the last episode how they kind of had to figure out how to get Mark involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so there's so right. many. Like you said, Scooby Doo is the best description. Mike, it's just pretty like, oh, and now I'm here. Oh, yeah. I'm here too. And are you the killer? You know, it's yeah. just mm-hmm. it's 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 a bit of a mess compared to the other. I do have thoughts about how Mark is involved. Or later, but well, we'll, we'll talk so about him. Here, here's how I. So when we were doing the notes, I'll get into this now because I feel like it, this cut touches into like what I feel like would have actually really fixed a lot of the problems here thematically. Is that you look at this movie and like at some point, and it's the halfway point. I feel you can literally tell like when they're trying to like they're just juggling shit around, like because mm-hmm. even the final the the final act when it's at you know Milton's house. It just feels like a dumping ground to a get rid of all the fat that they've left over, and then b like there's no rhythm or rhyme to, or uh, any reason to like anything that's going on. Like characters are just running around the, the house, like there's just chaos everywhere. The deaths are kind of whatever. Like they just literally throw a person out the window. Like it, it's well, this it's is what a, I was talking about, Mike. Is that it's so active? There's so much going on, but I'm not mm-hmm. really. Exactly. Feeling anything either way about it? Because nothing has enough weight to no. land. Yeah. yeah. So this is what I feel like they should have done. I feel like they really should have leaned on, like, let me just go run through this whole thing. And this is something I realized when I was going through uh, Emily Mortimer's character. Because I was like, God, what a fucking throwaway character they have here. And what a great actor you know, wasted in this. I know. So We'll talk about her later. I feel like they should have leaned on Mortimer's Angelina uh, being the killer. And I think that she should have been getting her revenge on Milton because I feel, and she's trying to pull Sydney into it with the knowledge of her mother's past. Hell, you could even kind of say that she fought for this role because she wanted to give redemption to Maureen's name to even strat, like to kind of add in some like stronger connected tissue here. And so you kind of have at that point, like a killer commentary on the studio system in Hollywood in general. And it wouldn't be the Angelina we have here. It would be an Angelina that would had worked with Milton previously and got fucked over by him, realized what had happened by doing some research, finding Maureen and then lobbying for the role of, uh, of Sydney so that she can get involved with this. So then you can kind of still get all the tragic past, but it's more effective and it's less about this idiot brother storyline. You don't have to retcon anything that happens in scream one. And then to really hammer down the spiritualness of returning back to the, the, the beginning, what Randy said, where the past comes back to haunt you. You save the Woodsboro set stuff for the end. So then just imagine, and it's all right, right there. Just imagine Sydney getting the call at the station, just as she does here, and then having to go back to the Woodsboro set instead. Mm, yeah. And then it could have been even more effective because then you can kind of even reference Halloween if you really want to keep it up with the homages. And you could have it where she's walking towards her own house, just like you know in Halloween with Laurie walking up to the Wallace house, and she finds all the dead bodies of all the people that like are in the movie, and in the bedroom, in the, the where she found her mother dead is Mortimer with Milton as a hostage, and on the TV is all the footage on the bedroom TV that's in again Maureen's room is all the footage from Maureen when she was uh, you know in Hollywood and all this other stuff, and she gives Sid the choice to make the last kill, and mm. you say the final girl gives the final kill to which I guess you could say that, you know, Sydney goes and kills Mortimer in a struggle or something like that. And then Milton is brought to justice or like, you know, brought to court and whatever mm. they do with that. But I just <laughs> feel like that streamlines the themes in a way that utilizes all the characters in a way you use Hollywood in a smart way. You get a finale that doesn't feel 
sort of like ramshackled together because that 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 use of the set is so cool, but it's so kind of just it's so rushed. Like it just yeah. doesn't well, feel they like you said. I mean, they they blow it too early. It's like they yeah. should have waited to the, closer to the end. You have this big set piece at like the halfway mark, essentially. Yeah. So that's how yeah. I, so when I was putting that thing about it today, I was just like, oh my God, that would just been so much more effective because you don't have to go back to the past in the way that they do here. Because the whole brother thing is just, it's so cheap. It's so unnecessary. And you could, and it totally dismisses the commentary of like what you're talking about with Hollywood, because like they start getting that when you're hearing Milton talking about it in his office, you know, like his whole dialogue about the innocence in Hollywood connects right there with Angelina. Like, why didn't you use that? So, and then here's the conspiracy theorist in me. What if they did have that? And given the fact that the fucking Weinsteins are the producers behind the scenes here, they're like, no, you're not doing that. You're going to have to go lean on some bullshit. That's tin hat, tinfoil hat thing. But (laughs) yeah, because I think that for me, well, let's wait and talk about that for the John Milton part (laughs) of it, because I think there's, there's definitely something to explore there, Mike, the Weinsteins relation to the plot of the movie. Yeah. And how much they let just happen. I would love to. I love that. Um, oh, that's a good idea. Of, it's a fun idea. You know? I think so, too. And I wouldn't even like with Angelina there, I wouldn't mind Roman's involvement as much. I don't think, although I do like that there's only one killer, but no, no, it and, would be one killer. Roman's not Roman is not. Uh, he's just a director that dies. Like mm, it, it is nothing. It has nothing to do with Roman. Like well, it's all Angelina. What I think I do like about reclaim kind of pulling more and more into the story is that I, I feel like there does need to be some kind of reckoning at some point with the fact that they have just blamed her for everything. And so they are revisiting her story, but like if Angelina was involved, even if Roman's around and he's just like some dipshit that she pulled in kind of like Timothy Oliphant in the second one, you know, like there's, it's like, what we end up with is, oh, like, instead of Maureen was not to blame for all of this, she's just to blame for a different reason, <laughs> and it's more horrifying than you knew about, you know? Instead of, mm-hmm. like, being like, no, this is really wrong. Like, that's mm-hmm. what's missing. I don't exactly. mind the Roman thing. It's that nobody says nobody says it the right way. Nobody cares about Maureen, you know? Yeah. It's all about uh, Roman. And when Roman's saying the truth, he's really just trying to get a rise out of Sydney. Like, exactly. Like, you know, if, if he actually believes it or not, you know? Even well, though, and if they had taken the out that thing. part where he's like, exactly, yeah, yeah. And there, there's the part where he says, like, because it kind of morphs into he, him being jealous of Sydney. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now jealous, Sydney is the star, but he's also jealous that Sydney is the one that got his mother's love. And that's kind of like the seeds of the fourth one. Mm-hmm. I mean, not yeah. to spoil anything, but I mean, I guess if you did remove that element, then that would feel a little more fresh. Although was- I think the fourth one explores that really well. It's like just throwaway lines that they give Roman to. It's like, your mother's dead. And there's nothing you could do about it. It's like, wait a second. Like, it's your mother too. Like, it just doesn't, it, it's right. so, it's all to get a rise. And it, yeah, it never leads anywhere. And then there's yeah. like, supposed to be this like, sort of like quasi pathos with Sydney that she's killing her brother. It just doesn't add up. And like, again, it goes in the final act. Like the final act is dull. Like this is the, the weakest part of the movie for me is that like, I agree. It's just, you get to this house, which, by the way, uh, Halloween H2O connection. Yeah. Um, same place. Too bad oh, is it really? Yeah. Up. Yeah, it's yeah. the same place that they did the school. And it's just, it's just fucking clumsy. And, like, I feel like if, when you people talk about why they don't really like this movie, I feel like a lot of it is because, like, the fucking back half of this is so forgettable. Like, it's just. Yeah. It's forgettable or it's memorable for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, you made a good point. I think this might have been off. I think this was off mic when you kind of said, well, I don't know how much we're going to talk about like the best kill because all the kills in this movie are kind of forgettable. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and obviously I had to go look cause I watched and I paid attention and I realized, Oh, we're going to talk about our favorite kill today. I had to go back 
and find online how everybody died. Cause I, com- I couldn't. Yeah. I totally yeah. fucking couple, forgot. No joke. It's like, oh, somebody was thrown out of the window, died. I guess somebody was stabbed. Somebody was stabbed. Somebody was stabbed. <laughs> like, okay, cool. And there's yeah. no gore to hey, go stabbed. along with it, right? Yeah. Because uh, Which, the studio didn't want it because of all Which, the again, like stuff. Because you had said that you don't have a problem with the fact that there's no gore, and I agree. I don't have the problem with the gore. I just want some really memorable sequences. Like they almost get there in some ways. Like you know. Even with like Jennifer Jolie, which we'll talk about her in a bit, but like with her death, you have this really cool setup with the mirrors, and then you just kind of like, oh, stab her, boom, here you go. Like where you could have had someone like Dewey shoots her by accident or something like that. Like there's, yeah. you know, we're gonna talk about that in about thirty seconds because there's an ADR nightmare that goes on in that scene with the mirrors. I don't know if you, if any of the three of you picked up on it, but oh, we'll talk about it. I, have, I do have another question. Why did did Derek deliberately leave his cell phone ringer on? Where they find, because you know, remember they hear the, they hear it ringing and they go in the closet and the ringer's there with the ghost face mask. I know. And the, I mean, I, I keep saying Derek, Roman, Roman, goddamn, Roman. Yeah. Why did Roman leave his ringer on like that with all the stuff? I don't understand. Was that, I, I, that's really a strange decision for the killer to have made. Very yeah. strange. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of goes into the he's an idiot um, oh, there we go. theory. You know, like he seems like the kind of person who would want his ringer on so that everyone knows how important he is when he gets <laughs> phone calls, you know, and then just forgets. So, oh, and it forgets. So, oh, here's, here's everything, all the evidence. I have, a, I, have a, I have a suspicion. Um, hmm. It could have been that they didn't really know how to end this movie. And uh, yes, so, oh, yeah, that's a good point. They're, that they're writing, point. they're writing, you know, scripts like last minute. They're getting and, the pages via fax machine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which, hey, that's one of the better hey, sequences. Um, yeah. But We're like, y- we got to get them to plot A to plot B. How are we going to do it? Oh, Star 69. That works. Yeah, uh, well, yeah I know. That's, oh, Lord. Okay. That whole thing also is wild. But anyway, Scott Foley, of course, recurred on Kevin Williamson's Dawson's Creek. That was mm-hmm. the first thing I think I saw, ever saw him in. Was, was he on Dawson's Creek? He was kind of like the football guy that like had a big crush on Jen, if you could believe it. Hmm. If you, if, you, if you could believe that they used that storyline, Dawson's Creek, somebody right. had a, a crush on Jen. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, but then he was on Felicity. Felicity, where he met his future wife, Jennifer Garner, and they got divorced. Oh. But he's been a lot of TV. Oh, man. What a He's hot been a lot of TV for, for years and years, if you look at his CV. He's, he's doing just fine. He's had a pretty solid career in that regard. Hey, he uh, shares the screen with the, on Grey's Anatomy with, uh, you know, he's oh on God. that show. That was also Madreamy on there, too. So. Was he a regular on that show? Uh, let me look real quick. Right. From the hot doctor. Got star or something. Yeah, no, he did 15 episodes. So he's Henry oh, recurred. Oh, yeah. Really a season. You. And I will say, I don't have a problem with Scott Foley in this role. Like, I think he's fine. It's just that yeah. the role and the character is. I do like him playing the self-absorbed director. I do yeah. too. That and it good. is like he's we said earlier, it. it's fun on rewatch when you think about like, he's just playing himself, you know, that's, that's interesting, you know? And look, They're- I hate him as in, as in this role. Uh, or I hate him as a villain, but like, when you think about it, Cover up's pretty good, you know. Like, yeah, sure. I, you know, he's when you. This might be. I was writing notes down. I think this is the only film in the Scream franchise where the killer actually is. You see, like the killer, other than Billy, obviously. But like, there's a little scene where he's alone, and you're supposed to get the sense that like he's being stalked. Yeah, but you he's really, really plotting. But you never get that with any of the other killers in the movies. That's mm-hmm. right. That's so. a good. That's a good misdirect. I mean, there's some good yeah. misdirects here. Don't get me wrong. It's not. Yeah. Not a disaster zone. I'm sure it was intentional too at the time. Um, oh, absolutely. They definitely think of it the day of. <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to our next section. Where we're going to talk about the other 87 characters. There's almost as many characters in this movie as there are songs on the soundtrack. So we're going to try to get through that. It's a section called Everybody's a Suspect. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. 
Okay. Really? Why the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah. All right, well, we've talked a lot about David Arquette's career, so we don't have to worry about any of that. Let's just talk about where Dewey Riley is at this point in his, his life, in his career. And he's working for Jennifer Jolie, right? He's kind of... Is he is he being used as kind of a resource, I guess, for her role as so. Gail? A consultant. Yeah. Right? A consultant. Yeah. Consultant. That's the best way to put it, yeah. And we also learn that Gail and Dewey have broken up again. This is the worst part. Like, <laughs> it's enough of it. Like, it's like Mulder and Scully constantly breaking up. Together. Together. Here's why it works. It only works because they don't in four. That's a good... Well, that's why four works better because they don't break right. up. I don't know if, you know... I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just even though in real life this. they had been broken up. <laughs> in three or in four they had been broken yeah, up. They, yeah, they, right. yeah, they had. Yeah. How strange! Um, How strange! Meta. Well, I, I just I just really appreciate the two minutes of exposition we get at the coffee house to explain how they were together and then they broke up again. It's just yeah. like, wait, 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 why do we need this? Like, why don't they just have them living together in fucking you know California? And then she's jealous of the fact that like he's a consultant on the movie. Like, it doesn't. Sure, yeah. that would work. You know, it's fine. Yeah, but it's well, just because once then again, you can't hate a woman in this movie mm. as you know. Well. An essential element. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about Dewey without talking about either Gail or Jennifer Jolie, because that's really kind of what he exists to do is like to pit one of them against the other one, you know, or that's just true. kind of call Sydney. And I like David Arquette, like, and I like him in this movie, but like, I really do not like the Gail and Dewey relationship in this movie. No, I hate it. It's, it's, it's just a little redundant. Well, even like when they first meet up on the set, there's a line delivery that I wrote down that I, I couldn't believe they did that they kept this shot or this take. It's just like rules are rules, Gail. But really, it was great seeing. You. I was like, what was this a fucking porno movie? Like it's just it's the the <laughs> delivery. Well, and the, the, but I will say though, like about that line, I think that he's trying to act tough. Yeah, but yeah. It just you know I, he's done that before in other movies. Yeah, but it just comes off so hammy here to the point where I'm like. I don't know. It, 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 it just wasn't a great take. There's a lot of dialogue in this movie that doesn't work. That Well, let me talk about some dialogue here. The scene when Jennifer's banging on the mirror and, and Gail and Dewey are on the other side. I wrote this dialogue down. Look, Gail, the mirror's moving. Yeah. <laughs> Step away, Gail. I, I, why, why do you say the yeah. name, her name twice? Mm-hmm. It was obviously... 80 yard or something yeah. going on there. I don't mm-hmm. know. Just little things like that really st- stood out when they shouldn't stand out at all. You should never be able to tell when 80 yard is going on. No. Right. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. Yeah, there's a, a moment, because I can't remember if it's in one or two, where he's got this big giant sentence and it's really cute to see him try to get it out of his mouth and they try mm-hmm. to recreate that and it just falls really flat. It just, mm, it bugs me. And But there's a moment, like he is kind of sweet because he's just kind of a likable person, I think, when the script doesn't get in the way of him. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. when she's talking about like, don't you have my number saved in your memory? And he like looks up to the left, like trying to remember in his memory, his, <laughs> which I think is really sweet. But it's just mm. I also hate, hate the fact that he proposes to her by cutting a hole in her book. Be like, oh, no. That was like the first copy. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I guess you really don't like this book. And I mean, that, that's more to my like thoughts on Gail, because I feel like the way the movie treats her is. Well, we can just transition into Gail, because like you said, they're so connected at this point. Right. Yeah. The, that duo. And Ooh. so Gail is an anchor woman for total entertainment. More importantly, though, and this is you want to talk about dated material. 
Has anybody thought of 60 Minutes 2 in like 15 years? I didn't know that was a real thing. It was a real thing. 60 Minutes 2 was this kind of spinoff of 60 Minutes. I had forgotten about it until... Yeah. uh, Until they mentioned it in the movie. Why didn't they call it another 60 Minutes? 60 more minutes? I think Walter (laughs) Hill was suing. (laughs) (laughs) Walter Hill was going to sue because it was too close to another 48 hours. Another 48 hours. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if in Scream 5 it's uh, 60 Minutes 3 starring like Tori Spelling and Owen Wilson? (sighs) Make it even more confusing. But 60 Minutes 2 became... I like a Wikipedia actually says 60 minutes too. Also knows 60 minutes Wednesday and 60 minutes. Yeah, no shit, because they just went back to 60 minutes. It was mm. it didn't didn't do great. It was on for a few years. But anyway, I thought that that reference was made many times in this movie and is so dated at this point. Nobody knows yeah. what the hell that is. Let's talk about her bangs in the movie. Jen. <laughs> well, look, if you've ever had bangs and you've ever like been on a budget, like you've probably cut your bangs before. I have cut my bangs and it has looked terrible. It's never quite looked that terrible. Um, but yeah, she like, mm, it's, it's like, it's like a swing and a miss trying to hit like the pop culture dialogue in this movie. Uh, It's like mm -hmm. the bangs. It's like really trying to go for this look that it just doesn't quite work. Although I will say, I think the butterfly clips in the last scene are the bigger crime. Oh, I like the butterfly clips, but I don't mind because she's evolved. You see, as the butterflies emerge (laughs) from Ah, the cocoon. She's free now. Because she found a man to love her. The bangs are so bad. I'm pretty sure that moment in Scream 2 when she gets knocked off the stage by uh, <laughs> Timothy Alpha. I think that's when the, the bangs happened. Like, I think yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to cut this hair. And she's, I it's mean, just such a fall from the perfection of her hair. And Scream I don't know. Like, oh, this yeah. was, I love her hair in Scream 2. That too. was just not a good era for the Friends cast, I think. No. Like, looks wise. Music I think they were... Looks or music hair. They, you know, they all seem to have their own problems with addictions and everything. And yeah, Courtney Cox. Doesn't it? Yeah. I will say once again, not the Courtney Cox that I loved from the the first movie, or even from Masters of the Universe. Yeah, or the, thirteen years earlier. Okay, here's the thing: when you notice this, we talked earlier how they, they only had so much time for Nev Campbell, right? So she's really only in the back half of the movie. This really does feel like, especially the first half, especially Dewey and Gale's movie. Yeah, yeah. And then Sydney seemed like she was just gonna be like a supporting character. But then they do that really awkward thing where they make it all about her in the end. Yeah. It's very that's what I think Jen, you mentioned this earlier. Is just the structure of it kind of does a disservice to what the main plot should have been. Well, it's because you have to like have Sydney as the main though, if you're gonna do yeah. the trilogy. And that's know? the problem. I feel like it works in the context of a trilogy, but not in the context of a single film. Good you know? yeah. I like, like, who, like you're kind of shifting. And I mean, I've got some thoughts about Gail if we're ready for that. <laughs> let's let's go. Because her we're, we're arc, I feel like with Gail, I, I love her. I don't love her as much as Sydney, but Sydney's probably my favorite character of all time with Sarah Connor. This movie is so shaming her for having ambition and oh. for wanting to be. And I feel like there are hints of that in the second movie. Like, I know y'all talked about her arc where she runs to Dewey instead of to the camera at the end of the second movie. And I love that because it's just kind of showing that that's not the only thing in her life. But yeah. here it's like, Dewey wants her to be like his little wife and just live like in Woodsboro with him and not have any kind of career ambition. And there's one point where he says like, well, isn't that, and why couldn't that be enough? And I was just yelling, cause that's not fucking what she wants, Dewey. <laughs> yeah. like, can you, well, why don't you move is, with her? You know, that they rectify that in stream four. <laughs> I agree in that re- respect, but I feel like there's a middle ground that you could have explored. You could have both in the sense that like, you know, they're both, amb- you know, career ambitious people. She, he's working on the set using finally his, you know, 
quote unquote skills as a police officer. Um, <laughs> right. And then she's able to be like a, you know, a cutthroat reporter. But like the problem is, is that they fucking backpedal on like that arc at the end. Like it's just, yeah. it's, and then so they could do the redundancy. It's like, so they could do the Sam and Diane thing again. And it's just like, mm-hmm. come on. I, I personally feel, and this is something I thought about while watching it this time. It feels like, like everyone in production was like all out to get like Courtney Cox because like, yeah. not only are the bangs bad, but like some of her lines are fucking awful. And then the hot dog suit that she's wearing in the beginning, it's just like, it's comical even then. Like I remember yeah. it, no one was wearing that then. I'm sorry. Like it, it's so outlandish and it, it's so ridiculous that like, I, I don't know. It just, it does feel like there is like Kruger maybe even, or like the, the costume designer or someone was just like, all right. Well, Mike, knock her down. Rock, <laughs> we've, we have to get our own Michael Coors, Michael Vanderbilt in on this because You've got quite a taste for fashion here. What, what do you think about Gail's look throughout the film, most notably in the hot dog suit? Unmemorable. <laughs> the worst thing is it's all unmemorable, especially mm-hmm. when her yeah. outfits are yeah. uh, such a, I mean, I, so memorable in uh, one and two. Yeah, definitely. Love her. And I, love I, her I don't too. feel like it does anything for the character either. Like, it's not saying, like, she's down on her luck or anything like that. It's not like she's dressed right. slovenly. It's just the costume designer just kind of whiffed. I well, think. here's the question I do have, and we can kind of transition into who's probably the best character of the movie, or at least the most memorable character, that of Jennifer Jolie, played by Parker Posey. Do you think that they are kind of dressing Gail a certain way to make sure she absolutely contrasts I with thought about how that. Jennifer Jolie is, is dressed in, in character, especially? I, I thought about that, but I, mean, I don't know. They could have... I don't feel like Courtney Cox's character is dressed, uh, that Gail's dressed any more mature than she ever was, no. which yeah. would be the move. I don't know what that move would have been. I don't know, like, what you would do to make her exude that. But it's just, yeah, it's just a whiff. But I do think that maybe they are trying to do that to differentiate her from Parker Posey's character. But the thing is that Parker Posey's wearing these like outlandish colors, too. Like, we were joking on last night, like, Vanderbilt and I, that, like, she, she looks like she, like, shopped at Wet Seal most of the time. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. you have all these, like, pinks, you have all these Gwen Stefani wardrobes, so it's already outlandish enough. So if you just kept Courtney Cox, like, in the same sort of style that she'd been doing for the rest of the series, like, it would have been fine. I guess you could make the argument that she's older in her career and she's trying to keep this youthful exuberance in there, I guess, but it just, I, don't I know. doubt that the costume it, designer, I mean, I know, I know the costume designers do think about that sort of thing, but I kind of doubt that that's what was going on on the set of Scream 3. I know. I think so too. I think they were going for a look that just did not work, no. you know, because like when Jennifer Jolie, like when I think the things I think is fascinating is seeing when she is herself and when she is playing Gail. And I think they do a really good job of styling her so that you can tell the difference, you know, yeah. but neither of those feel like what Courtney Cox is wearing in that hot dog suit, you know, and it's like, it reminds me of, <laughs> I know I'm picturing, it reminds I'm, me of this scene. I'm picturing Gail in the, uh, that thing from what's the show. I think you should leave. Like, I think you yeah. should, that's what I was thinking oh, about. Yeah. We're all trying to figure out who did suit. this. Oh, throw up. I will say, for all the criticism I'm lobbying at Gail, like her scenes with, like, when it's Gail and Jolie together, uh, I want the whole, the I want that. That's the best part of the movie for me. I agree. It's, exactly. it's so much fun. Like, okay, I well, love let's it. talk about. Well, I feel like the, 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 the trio of, of Gail, Dewey, and Jennifer are so entwined. We've got to talk about them all together, and mm-hmm. then we'll talk yeah. about Nev Campbell of Sydney. I think Parker Posey's great in this. My favorite part of this movie, and there's no way it's scripted, is when she's having like a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Steve, Stephen Stone is there, Patrick Warburton's security character. <laughs> and Gail and Dewey leave the scene. Yep. And she just 
<laughs> lets him envelope her and like almost cradle her as she kind of just jumps up into his arms <laughs> for support. That is and that was great. so funny, and that just nailed that type of stereotype of the spoiled Hollywood starlet, the the quote unquote it girl. I do think yeah. Scream Three works better Very when funny. it leans into its comic elements at this point mm-hmm. because much like Freddy Krueger, it's hard to keep a series scary. Mm-hmm. The longer mm-hmm. it goes on, so and that's what Kruger was saying. Uh, not not Freddy Krueger, but Aaron Kruger was saying that. That's true. <laughs> but I, I, I and I feel like okay. like this is the closest thing. And I was going to save this for my closing statements, but I feel like in a way, Screen Three is the closest thing we're ever going to get to like a Jaws Three People Zero, even if it does kind of whiff on it, mm-hmm. like a movie that takes okay, place yeah. in the series that also kind of takes the piss out of the series. It just yeah. wants I've, to do that. You know, like, well, I know. Well, I feel like they almost there. kind of did it with a scary movie, though. That's the thing. You well, know? because yeah. they, they pivot into like this maudlin back half that doesn't work. Like, there's two opposing movies that are going on here. Like, you can't yeah, do definitely. the arc that involves Sydney and also put it in a scary movie sensibility. Like, you just can't. Like, it's just that those two things are just not as intertwined. It is. It's, to- it's so weighty given the themes. Like, that's the problem, and I think that's the, the the. There's not a marriage there. If anything, there's a there's a to borrow from Stephen King. It's a a, a good marriage, and a good marriage mm. isn't always great. So I think that's yeah. the, the the problem that you have. But I agree, Vander. But like when it's funny, and it's the two of them. Like when it's when it's just like them on the the, the case. I, I I I lit up. I was like, oh yes, yes, this is great. Mm-hmm. And it's because po- Parker Posey's. Arguably the only one of the new cast that understands exactly what this movie should be. And it's mm-hmm. probably because she is a, you know, a veteran at that point of Christopher Guest. And like, you know, you well, watch her and also, she steals. Mike, is that Parker Posey's playing a, a kind of quote unquote it girl and Parker Posey uh-huh. herself was absolutely the it girl of the 90s. Yes. You're, she's kind of doing like a, a little parody of herself in a lot of ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think she is the kind of the kind of actress that is willing to do that in a lot of ways and like make it really oh, yeah. unique. My favorite moment is when she's, I think, Gail and Dewey are in the front seat of a car, and she just like sticks her face in the yes. scene and makes some weird face, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I like how the movie's basically been put on pause. The production has, but she still uh-huh. shows up dressed as Gail when they get yeah. right. <laughs> like, like I, I, did, I did not pick up on that until my the most recent rewatch. But I also yeah. think there's another version of this movie where Dewey dies in part two, and it's just mostly Parker Posey and Courtney Cox running around yeah. trying to solve this thing. I think that's yeah. a far more successful movie. But well, and what's not, frustrating not that, is again, I, feel- I like Arquette, but you know, I just feel like that's yeah, that's the way to go. It's frustrating because I don't feel like it like swings and like massively fails. It's like we see the seeds of what this could be. Mm-hmm. And I think ha- the hands of someone who knows what this is. And it's just that it, it gets so close to being really satisfying because I think the Scooby characters are really interesting. And I think there's a lot of like room to make a commentary on that kind of character, like with somebody like Jenny McCarthy. Like I think she kind of gets about halfway there, you know, and to save not to get into that before we get to her character. But it's like it just it gets so close, but it doesn't hit what it's going for well it's funny because ironically enough you could say that that commentary is made in not another teen movie yes by Dion richmond exactly who plays tyson in this movie you know so they eventually get to those commentaries but it's just a whole different movie a whole different enterprise yeah, yeah the cruel I think, irony i'm not sure about the rest of you but i think that that the jennifer jolie character is my favorite character of, of the and movie. the stone she's the most life 
you know, yeah, the, she's got the yeah. most yeah. Stone Cold Fox of the film. Yep. I'm sure, I would agree. She's, yeah. yeah. 100%. So we've got Brandon Boyd as the rock card hunk yep. for the Stream Street <laughs> soundtrack. And then we've got, isn't it awkward to think about the fact that Jennifer Jolie is a play on Jennifer Aniston and, and yes, Angelina but, Jolie. Yep. Weird. But it's so, but again, that goes into like Kruger's stupid ways of trying to be clever and meta. Mm. Like, but no, no, but that was before they broke up, Mike. That's the weird thing about it. I know, but it's just, but it, it, and I get, yeah, because then you look at like Angelina Tyler and they have Angelina in there and there's like, yeah. there's a, you know, pr- Prins with like the Freddie Prins and can, I, I, it just, I don't know. So it worked cheap. in two, but it just, they lean into it here in a way that feels really weird. And there's also D Detective Wallace, like yeah. D Wallace. Yeah, one of my favorite characters. <laughs> oh God, I didn't realize huh? that. Think about that. Wow. Okay. Let's go I, I, I had one, one little interesting takeaway I saw with the, the wardrobe with uh, Parker Posey that I thought was really funny when you really an- analyze it. So when you first see her, she's wearing that, you know, that outfit that Gail wears in the first movie. You know, that lime green th- yep. uh, outfit, which is really funny when you consider <laughs> that this movie is Stab 3. So it's like, why would she be wearing this outfit (laughs) from Stab 3? So it's like, it's a total commentary on, I feel like how, like recurring characters just kind of become caricatures. Well, it sounds to me like Stab 3 is actually just a remake of the first Stab movie. Yeah. Yeah. If you you hear the way the uh, the characters are talking about it. Unless it's a Back to the Future two kind of thing, where ah, they will Sydney, do oh, shot them, which I mean, maybe Are that's what they're Sydney planning Prescott? for five. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because why would there still be the crime scene in this movie? I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's happening? Yeah, okay. that's, that suspension of disbelief thing you were talking about. That yeah, def- oh, definitely. All right, well, let's talk about. We've talked. A, we've you know to be fair, we've actually talked a lot about uh, Sydney in this movie. Yeah, well, she, she's living seclusion. We talked. We've already talked so much about her already. Yeah. But Jen, if you want to expand upon your thoughts, maybe one last time on Sydney and how her plot works in this and how maybe it's disserviced by the when it's when it takes place or the lack of time we actually have with her in the two hour runtime. I, I actually don't mind that she's not in the movie as much because um, I think it narratively works. It's like I think they found a way to take that roadblock and make it work for her story because I like that she's isolated at the beginning because yeah. I think that would be the next thing that her character does. And I like um, kind of that she doesn't show up and that when she does, it's like a, an empowering moment for her. Um, I there's not really anything I don't like about Sydney's story in this movie. Um other than like I guess tangentially how it's related to Maureen. Um her wig I think looks um. <laughs> Is she wearing a wig in this? <laughs> she is because she had that really long hair for I think drowning Mona. I and am, and uh, once you see it, you can't unsee well, what it. What you don't I know is that's a I reference apologize. to Halloween too. And mm. Jamie Lee ah, Curtis's wig. There it is, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, wig. Fright wig. Yeah. Okay. I, I do like that yeah. she's wearing Derek's letters. I love that. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Well, and so that's kind of the what I was saying about Mark is I like the way that he is in this movie because I think if you look at Sydney's like boyfriends throughout the movies, like she's like, I'll call you Mark when you meet the killer. Yes. Like she is so distant. I don't think they touch at all in the movie. No. And I think that really shows like somebody who's dealing with like PTSD from these massive traumas. Like that's what how you would be with a man or a relationship. And I like that he seems to kind of respect that and that the movie doesn't force her into like romantic relationships. Relationships. I just think I think her story through all three of these is handled really well. I think it's handled well in four too. And I mean, I I will riot if she dies in five, oh, man. just because I, I don't want to see that. I but, always think you know. of you every time I see her 
thinking it's just a scene <laughs> she's gonna get killed exactly yeah um, but i don't mind that the trauma keeps coming back because that's what trauma does you well know? I, had a, I had a question on this because i like i didn't really it's kind of weird the gaslighting that happens on here i, I feel like it's it's kind of forced into this in a way that they don't really fully contend with because like you know when she gets to the set right and they have that whole sequence of events like everyone it's very weird the dismissive tones that they all have where it's like that's not woodsboro sydney or like right. you know there's this fucking series of murders that happen and everyone else when they mention that there's killers or whatever they're like oh yeah good good yeah, yeah we got it but then like the mm-hmm. person that comes in that's probably the center of attention that they're trying to get <laughs> after and he she's like oh i saw the killer oh what I don't see anyone up here. Yeah, because the fucking killer ran away just like yeah. it did previously with everyone else. Well, I just thought that was so clumsily written there. Like, I agree. And it also made me hate uh, Patrick Dempsey's character even more. But like, <laughs> Oh, wait. So here's my take, though. I actually like Patrick Dempsey's performance in this movie. He gets a little precious sometimes. He's fucking I like the little... chemistry between him and Sydney, though. I do, too. I just, they're like, but it's like, oh, bets are off. It's just like, I know you're going for the trailer moment here. That was, like, a ba- yeah. that was bad. That was bad. He does this like little chin swivel thing. Look, I well, I think Patrick Dempsey. I, I wanted more with Mark Kincaid. I'm not kidding. I, I, I wanted more with Mark Kincaid and less with his dickhead de- detective friend that was like a total Jewish archetype that I just couldn't fucking stand. Well, we're gonna like, talk just, about like, him in a minute because you're not gonna got a believe fun bit what of he's been in. Doesn't he? Just yeah, he's got oh. a really amazing piece of trivia. Trust me. All right. Uh-oh. So yeah, we, we I think we've talked a lot about Nev Campbell in this yeah. in this movie, but I, I do want to say Can something. Do no wrong. There's a scene with, with her and Mark, and she says, hey, detective, what's your favorite movie? And he says, my life. And she says, mine too. <laughs> it's strange that my life would, would be even one of their favorite scary movies, let alone both. I always saw the 1993 <laughs> film, My Life, directed by Bruce Joel Rubin and starring Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman as more of a drama. But perhaps this was a dig at Courtney Cox's ex-boyfriend, Michael Keaton, from the 90s. What do you think? What? Were they really yeah. together? They, were, they dated for a long time, yeah. Holy wow. shit. Wow, talk about worlds colliding. Yeah, hey, talking about worlds colliding, Power Man 5000. <laughs> okay, we don't have to talk anymore about, about Mark, I don't think. Although, I did, there is one little part in the movie, I don't know if you picked this up. When Mark is standing by his, not Steve Christie's bulletin board, but Mark Kincaid's bulletin board, and there's a post, or there's a sign on the, the board that says, I killed her. I don't know if that was oh, supposed weird. to be a, a deliberate misdirect. Like, oh, are, they, are you trying to show us that it marks the killer? I, I mean, was I, there I a, a version of the script where he was the killer? I'm sure there was, right? I'm sure yeah. I feel like there had to have been yeah. at one point. They're probably like I a, did not a, like that weird poster next to all the pictures of Maureen of this voluptuous woman like being scantily clad. And I was like, why ugh. is that on your wall at a police station? There was like, there's like just, horror movie posters on his wall. I'm like, I don't know about this. Well, uh, right. you know, he's a horror movie fan because he, he, he's got depth. You know, he's like, he's like very Hannibal Lecter, very seven. It's like, right. shut the fuck up. Like, Genius yeah. references. <laughs> oh, it. by the way, like, so his partner, John Pace, ugh. he did the voice yes. and was also the actor of Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <gasps> he's my favorite really? Ninja Turtle. He's my favorite Ninja Turtle. Yeah. But uh, let's yeah, just say, not too. my favorite character here. Also was in Music of the Heart by Wes Craven. I got all his dumb one-liners. He was making a movie called Stab. He was stabbed. He was stabbed. Ten more murders and we can have a calendar. Well, in that I actually, actually like the stab line. Yeah. Uh, but the well, calendar that, one, I was like, fuck you. Dude. Yeah, we're out of here. We'll talk yeah. about your movie down at the station. This is the scene where you come with us. It's just like, I hate characters <laughs> in movies whose sole existence is to be either contradictory <laughs> or cynical. And it's like... And they're like all they all they are just to serve as these like dumb one liners. Like you never get a scene where they're just actually just kind of talking. Like right. he's just kind of he just is just all his 
this exists solely for these dumb one-liners and they're all like this like i don't know it kind of feels like uh you don't have to get into it anyway i don't no. like this character i think that he's character. fucking okay. annoying yeah well, they we, just forget about him at the end of the movie too like as much as they forget about kincaid like because uh, serves hey, no purpose and Kate's probably like, all right, I could get away from this guy. You guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like calorie smart, protein plus, keto. Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals. Dietitian approved, guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible. Two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. You've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, well, we got to talk about this because, and I thought I was so, such a genius, like a like an analytical, critical genius when I was watching Dream 3 again for the first time in 20 years. Because like, oh, I wonder if anybody's tackled the John Milton character and his relation to, to Harvey Weinstein and Hollywood and everything else. And of course, like, Literally in the Wikipedia entry for Scream Three, there's a section about <laughs> how this, how how you could read on that. I was like, damn it, I'm not I'm not nearly as clever as I <laughs> thought I, I was. Also, well, I really wonder how much of it was Wes Craven mm-hmm. putting his stink at it because he worked with Weinstein. He knew. But well, here's had the a thing: the thing that blows my mind more than anything is how powerful the Weinstein's felt that they were. Yeah. That this is in the movie, which is basically describing how they behaved, right? Or mm-hmm. let's just say specifically how Harvey Weinstein behaved specifically. Yeah, the brother seems um, to get a bad rep and I think he was actually okay. I, I've heard some things, but more specifically Harvey Weinstein is what I'm talking about. And yeah. it's amazing. He could watch this or have people watch this at work for him and just be like, I'm so untouchable. Release the movie. Like, it's just, it's yeah. mind blowing now, right? Twenty years later, that's that was my biggest <laughs> takeaway, and I think that that's why that is what does make this movie interesting in that respect. That's what kind of stands out Absolutely. is that weird pseudo commentary about what was actually happening by the person who kind of funded the movie. It's such a bizarre narcissist. I don't know. It's and it's, it's narcissism kind of at its at its finest. Mm. Yeah. See, and I think I had it had in my mind that it was very much more explicit in the ways that I wanted it to be, like making an actual point about this, and that he had made them change the script and tone it down. And I and I don't know if that's true or not, but in that regard, it could be like, well, I can't make them rewrite the entire movie because it is basically describing my relationship with Hollywood. Um, but it is, it's just a timestamp. Like we talked about being a timestamp for the, um, the soundtrack. soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. But it's like also a timestamp of like me too. And how we talk about these kinds of things, because even yeah. now it's, it feels very rushed. It feels very like misunderstood. I think there's still like the, the vibe is still like, well, she just couldn't hang, you know, that's, that's the problem. It's not like, yes, he's kind of a scumbag, but that's just what it is. You know? Well, cause there's literally that line. He says, things got out of hand. 
Maybe this they just take advantage of her. You want to get ahead in Hollywood? You got to play the game or go home. Like, right. could, that's like literally what Harvey Weinstein was having people is, do. You know, it's this, literally what he was doing. It's crazy. This is yeah. this full thing I wrote yeah, last night. I was, uh, it took me a while to write this because I was fucking fa- falling asleep. But it was in the 70s. Everything was different. I was well known for my parties. Renu knew what they were. You know, it was, it was for girls like her to meet men, men who could get them parts if they made the right impression. Something happened to her that she didn't invite in one way or another, no matter what she said afterwards. I'm saying things got out of hand. Maybe they did take advantage mm-hmm. of her. You know, maybe the sad truth is this is this, not the city of in it for innocence. No charges were brought. And the bottom line is Rena wouldn't play by the rules. Like you just said, you want to get in Hollywood, head in Hollywood, better play the game and go home. I mean, that's, oof. Oof, it, yeah. it is tell that whole dialogue is, is really telling. And, then, and that's why I'm, it's like, how do you not contend with that in the end? Like you just fucking dismiss it from right. this stupid revelation. And that's what it makes it so astounding. It's just like, God damn it. But that's like what the essence of like that time period. And like, that's what rape culture is, is not expecting that system to change. It's expecting mm-hmm. the women to learn how to navigate it better and just mm-hmm. be different. So be more pure, be like Angelina who puts up a show and, but like sleeps with them behind the scenes and that just learning how to navigate instead of actually asking Milton to question his own behavior. And that's where we could have had that end. Like they just cut his throat and th- literally toss him aside. It's like, there is a, bigger story here and we just can't we don't have the vocabulary to tell it right now and the people that could help us get there won't let us do it well it's funny because like the soundtrack definitely timestamps 2000 but this whole thing actually timestamps like 2016 right you know it's it seems it's so far ahead of its time in terms of the revelations as opposed Mm -hmm. obviously things have been going on forever but i think that that's the interesting thing about that yeah. Things have been going um, on forever, but it was always kind of accepted just part of the game. And Screen Free yeah, like does like not exactly accept it as part of the game. Yeah, It's saying sure. it shouldn't have to be like this and that it does affect people in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that's one thing that I do like is like if I look at it through the story, like seeing the ripple effects and how much generational trauma there is as a part of this fucked up system. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, interesting stuff to obviously dive in on if you haven't thought about Scream 3 in a while or haven't seen it. You should- uh, check that part of the movie out. It's pretty uh, jarring <laughs> when you're listening to it unfold in his office. Yeah. And it's kind of even um, funnier that, I mean, I don't, uh, Corman was never that bad, but that Roger Corman shows up in a cameo. Mm-hmm. And that oh, yeah, true. Milton is loosely based on Roger Corman yeah. as not well. As, not the evil parts no. of, obviously, yeah. No, uh, it was, because uh, he- especially when you hear like Milton's titles of his old movies. Oh, it's like, totally Corman. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, we talked a lot about Henriksen's career on our Near Dark episode over on our Patreon page, uh, Halloween, uh, patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. So check that One out. One of my, uh, my, my list of uh, horrifying deaths uh, that I had to contend with as a kid because I loved Bishop and uh, mm. seeing him rip apart like that, uh, hated it when I was a kid. I just was well, like, you know. Speaking of being ripped apart, how about ripped apart by an explosion? Tom Prince, the character... Played by <laughs> Matt Kiesler, who was in Waiting for Guffman with Parker Posey. Oh, and played the Sting role, a.k.a. Rautha, in the Sci-Fi Dune miniseries. I'm sure I mispronounced that, but look, I didn't watch the movie a lot growing up. I just read the books a couple times. That's how I pronounce it, okay? <laughs> now, this character is interesting because he blows up. <laughs> um, Isn't that what you want to do in Hollywood? Hey, there you uh, go. Yeah. Mission six, uh I was going to say, uh, the, yeah. the, the fax machine setup seems antiquated, but I still think it's effective. Oh, it's great. And, 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 yeah. That's like what it. I like out of it. That's what I want out of a screen movie. Like, clever yeah. stuff, even yeah. if it doesn't work. <laughs> like, you know, or doesn't make sense or is far-fetched yeah, like about, a lot of stuff in this movie. 
don't think about the fact that don't think about too hard that he had to literally light a lighter mm-hmm. right. as opposed to just like using a flashlight or not going back in the house and having the mm-hmm. whole thing not come together. Yeah. What would have happened if nobody went back? I kept thinking that a thousand times, but you yeah. know what? It's a horror movie. You know, why does, True. why doesn't Laura take, why doesn't Laura take the knife with her? I got to keep thinking that. True. Why doesn't Laura <laughs> take the knife with her? Just, we have to accept it. Congratulations. He actually is retired from acting a while ago. He's a, uh, he got Real a neurology, state? I think. He's at oh. the Oregon Health and Science University where healing, oh. teaching, and discovery come together. Yeah, just Next as I suspected. <laughs> Next character is a uh, former famous Playboy Playmate. Uh, was a singled out host. Had a couple of short-lived TV series. A noted anti-vaxxer. Co-hosts <laughs> on The View. And she's been married to Donnie Wahlberg for years. Jenny McCarthy is Sarah Darling. My favorite part about her whole thing is the fact that when you look back on it, she's actually literally talking to Roman on the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not a voice manipulator. That's my favorite part about her sequence here. Uh, I don't know. Jen, what do you think? Sarah Darling? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where it gets almost there, but just mm. not not quite. Because I like a lot of what she's saying about her character. Like, she's Candy, the chick who dies second, and that's who she is in the movie. I feel mm. like it's just like there's this... There's heavy handedness in making all of this commentary that makes me kind of check out from it. Also, it's really hard to take Jenny McCarthy seriously. I know. You know? And that that's yeah. my problem because yeah. she she had just been in basketball only two years beforehand and she's hilarious <laughs> in it. Like she's fucking great in that movie. And then when you watch this, it's like I almost sometimes forget that she's not she's in this and not scary movie. Because <laughs> It seems more like she would be in that because it could play more to her like slapstick screwball humor. Whereas in this, it just like it's it, it is hard to take it seriously in this scene. And it's actually a pretty well constructed scene, even though it's pretty emblematic of how neutered this movie is, because it's just like, all right, you're stabbed, boom, that's it. Like, right. Yeah. But the part with all the ghost face ma- costumes hanging together and then one of them moves that's is true. really cool. It's a just great they setup. don't do anything with it. Exactly. You know what's funny, Mike, is that she would actually end up being in scary movie three. Oh, hmm. so that makes that sense weird? then. Yeah, that's weird. She does drive uh, Bond's car from Goldeneye, which is Z3. Oh, there you go. One, one, a Dimension Films classic, Goldeneye. He's a <laughs> Southside girl, Jenny McCarthy. She's from my neighborhood. Yeah. She and I were born at the same, well, she and I were born at the same hospital. Little Company of Mary in Evergreen really? Park. Really? Yeah. Oh. And famously, in that 1993 October Playboy uh, shoot, wore a sweater from her high school, Mother Macaulay, which was... Uh, notorious for where the bitches went <laughs> when you're in high school. Uh, That's where the bitches went. I always got along mm-hmm. with the Queen of Peace girls. They were fine, but the Macaulay girls, they were uh, they were trouble. I went to Marist, so, and our uh, like rival school was Brother Rice, which was connected with Macaulay. So she was a cheerleader over there, and she wore like like you can see it. I'm looking at her Playboy bio right now. Uh, her ambitions were to succeed in TV land and eventually get a house, a husband, and a Beaver Cleaver family. I think ah. I, I, she succeeded. Well, she succeeded. She okay. did marry my favorite new kid. So <laughs> Donnie. You know, but my, we, hey, we talked about the sixth sense earlier. Yeah, that's right. My uncle uh, is a manager Meta. of a furniture store out in Orland Park. <laughs> and uh, I was working with this woman one day and he, she's with a guy like and she's acting really kind of weird she's like anything leopard print she'd start crawling on and growling acting like a ding dong and it turned out it was Jenny <laughs> McCarthy. Ah, and he was yeah. he sold her some furniture and got my sister an autograph because my sister went to Mother Macaulay as well. I'm like, it's too bad about Jenny McCarthy because she was the it girl for a minute. She was funny, you know. Yeah, she was. Yeah. And obviously good looking and just what a ding dong now, huh? Yeah. 
I know. Yeah, when your personality transcends anything you and do. And her turnoffs were bullies, steroid monsters, show-offs, guys who give me their business cards and say, call me, babe, I can make you a star. And notably, she did not mention vaccinations. I was going to say, right. yeah. Um, funny enough. Yeah. Okay, well, just a memorable role. Okay, <laughs> next person. Emily Mortimer, who is a very good actor. This character is is so wasted. I feel like this this character must have gone through rewrites, right? I, I, totally, it's a yeah. weird, strange character. Like Mike, I like your take on what they could have done with her making her a killer or the killer of the movie. Like that's much more interesting than having her be this weird. I, I did feel like she was such a bizarre character, at least the way she was portrayed, that it, it felt like it was almost a misdirect. Like you were literally mm-hmm. literally supposed to think that she was somehow. Going to be and involved in this. Rothman, you want to talk mm-hmm. about wet seal contempo casuals. Like, I know. That's her, <laughs> that's her look in this one. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking last night about how, like, I was saying, uh, for like 98 to uh, like maybe 2000, like, like every girl I knew looked like uh, Emily Mortimer in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, had yeah. that look, had Pseudo that hair. pixie cut. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely mm-hmm. disgusting. Just absolutely. <laughs> Gross. I'm yeah. sorry. Condolences. The thing I do like about her story, but otherwise it's you could basically lift her out of the movie and to no effect. But I like the scene where she is in the bathroom mm-hmm. and I like this more because of Sydney, because like it's the, the recreation of the scene in the first movie where yep. she like runs out mm-hmm. and she's attacked. And I love that you can see Sydney's growth because she just charges into the stall and like, yeah, mm-hmm. go Sydney. But that's and it. it's opposite that's sides all. of the room this time too. the stalls are on the right and the and the mirrors on the left as opposed yeah. to the, the, the first movie. And how cool if if she was the killer and it's just like there are two killers in the stall and this time she just wasn't ready to kill her. Yeah. You know? mm, yeah. yeah. It's what might have been. What if, you know? And how she die again? She runs down the hall running away and then she, and yeah, she says and she fucking old and then she gets stabbed, right? Yeah. Like, Mike, when you were telling me your idea for this, I was like, well, maybe she'll show up in five because I forgot that she died. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I had to show back too. and make sure that Parker Posey uh, died. Right? I had forgotten. Well, speaking yeah. of people I forgot died because of such an abrupt scene is when the character of Tyson, played by Dion Richmond, mm-hmm. gets thrown off the balcony. We don't really see him land. No. I, I was convinced that he was going to show up again um, uh, alive. I, I always forget weird. that. Another weird character. Well, is kinda, I, you could, like Jen said, you could take him out of the movie, too, and the movie's not affected I'll at tell all. you what, something yeah. about Dion Richmond. Like, he appears, he didn't do a lot of work before Scream 3, but he's in the 1985 music video for Cool and the Gang's Cherish. And notably, hmm. plays a young Eddie Murphy in the opening of Raw. No, where oh, he tells wow. the dirty joke to Samuel L. Jackson. And Raw is, he was, Raw is a very important film to me because it taught me a lot about sex and relationships and Italians. Oh, ditto. <laughs> and <Italians>. cigars <laughs> yeah i used to get in so much trouble mike because i watched that and i would watch uh priors uh you know Sunset also and i would get in so much trouble at school like they, <laughs> they, they the shit that i would say from those my my parents were like oh, and you I'm didn't even understand that's the thing you didn't know what yeah, any of that no meant. idea when i my no. parents let me watch raw when it came on cable when I was eight. Oh, I still haven't seen it. And Great. I mean, there's one bit that's funny, really. It's fit about the, you know, when he's a kid talking about the hamburger. So you, you, know, you watch it, but you know, you think you're cool because you're watching. <laughs> then you watch it as a teenager and you understand it a little bit more. Then you watch it in your 20s when you've actually been in relationships. And it, it just <laughs> keeps getting funnier, I think. Uh, yeah. Despite some of its more, uh, I hate to use the term problematic, some of its more problematic elements, it was certainly of the era. And I still think very funny. Well, speaking of problematic, what I remember him from was he was on a lot of the Cosby show as Theo's best friend. 
Mm. He was a ah. very good child actor. That's what I remember him from growing up. Yeah, he's like 32 um, episodes of that. Yeah, he was in a lot of it. Very funny and I mean, actor. It's like, it's like Roman in here. It's like, I don't have a problem with him. It's his character. It's just, there's yeah, nothing. Just, well, he's, he's, he's literally playing the same character as you mentioned, uh, Justin, in, from 1918 movie the next year. Yeah, like, and it's, which he comments on. I wonder if that was yeah. definitely like a knowing joke. Was he already working on it? I don't know, but <laughs> I the mean, coincidence I, is incredible, though. Tell you this, damn, I, damn. I revisited. <laughs> I revisited that, and it still holds up. It is so funny. Yeah, like, it's, that that movie is so funny. Like that was like maybe like one of the last gasp parodies. Really right after that was Teen Movie, which was awful. Scream movie. three or not Scream three. Uh, Scary Movie three <laughs> is awful. Yeah, yeah I believe it's it. bad. It's bad because the Wayans aren't involved at that point. No, it's David Zucker post sanity. <laughs> and then American they hand it off to You got to watch it. You have to watch an oh, American God. Carol. Uh, let's, let's move on before we get more one-star reviews. Why did you have to bring up American Carol? <laughs> okay. Um, Christine Hamilton character, which is Cotton Weary's girlfriend, played by Kelly Rutherford. Uh, of course, awesome I remember girl. her from The Adventures uh, of Briscoe County Dixie Jr. Dixie Cousins. Mm. My Dixie goodness. Cousins. The first time I ever saw Bruce Campbell, by the way, was that show. Really? Yeah, did not I did not know Evil Dead before that show. Oh, I was all. so excited Surprised for Briscoe because I was already a Evil Dead Bill Bruce Campbell acolyte and Yeah, Bruce Campbell. I didn't discover him until a year after I saw Briscoe County Jr. when it was on. Jen, do you remember Briscoe County Jr. at all on, on Fox? I remember it. I've never seen it, but yeah, I remember it. It's a pretty fun show I revisited a couple of years ago. There's this great running bit where like the horse he has has to like sleep in the same bedroom as him or something. Oh, hi. It, it's long story short. It's a pretty <laughs> yeah. fun and Kelly, show. Kelly Rutherford's great on it as kind of She's very good on it. One of his kind of like the mold, yeah. Very fun. I just yeah, remember from like Mel- she was like in Noro's place. She was on the last couple she seasons. She was on OC too, right? Yeah. She well, she was in oh, who um, It was in Gossip Girls, their big one. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's, well, she's Lily Vander. I just want to talk about her positively cuz the character itself is once again was an afterthought, was in a reshoot. Yeah, to boost but the the cotton. Thankfully, scene. we do get to see her alive and scantily mm-hmm. clad. I don't know. That's something I like. That's <laughs> something I like about seeing uh, Kelly Rutherford. Well, she looks great. She said, a, "I remember I've been following this that, that whole this whole personal life thing with her ex husband is a real nightmare." If anybody wants to look into that, feel free to. She was sounds. I would lose my mind. Side of question. Uh, also, in Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, uh, huh. which I'm surprised nobody has asked us to do on the Patreon. I'm sure they will. Well, that and the Exorcist. Just teeing that up at this point. It into uh, the world. A, a quick aside I wanted to get in in the opening. I, uh, that chick who I talked about in the opening with the cigar, she and I saw The Ninth Gate together. Ah. Which, which yeah, keeps coming up on our Patreon. As, Everyone wants us to do The Ninth Gate. <laughs> it's it's Long. not good. And you can see the great. devil's advocate instead. And my, cop, so like, my hey. copy of Scream 3 featured a, like, a long trailer for their upcoming releases that featured <laughs> footage from the Ninth Gate, so maybe it's meant to be. I don't know. It like might it's like be. The, the people wants to do the Ninth Gate, Jeepers Creepers, and Hannah and her sisters. It's just okay. very awkward. We gotta move on. So I, gotta, I, had a, I had a question though, based on her, because she says, "Okay, Cotton, you know I don't like your stab games." Are we supposed to assume that like Cotton yes. is like BDSM? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sure he's playing the killer or something sure like that. He, That's even weird, if it's right? not like a sexual thing, I'm sure he fucks around. Like, oh yeah. And how great is it that his his TV show was named 100% Cotton. It's the best name. Uh-huh. Well, oh let's talk God. about Liev Schreiber 
as Cotton Weary killed Don't off. Don't Fox of the movie. Uh, you know what? Oh, there I you know. go. He's great. It's him, he's or, good, it's he's him or Patrick good. Dempsey. So yeah, Dempsey's yeah. pretty. I lean you know, Dempsey, like, I think. He's too Dempsey's pretty good looking, me. but he's too pretty. But like, yeah, fucking yeah. Uh, Lee Schreiber is so good. And like, one of the best yeah. voices we have is Leah Schreiber. Mm-hmm. Great voice. I just, I, it's such a missed opportunity to not have him as part of the main cast because, like, mm-hmm. you watch him in the end, and we talked about that in the second episode or the Scream Two episode. There's just a radiance about him in that final act where you're like, fuck, he's great. I can't wait to see if he's going to be a part of the main cast. And I get the reasoning for wanting to kill him in here because you need to have some sort of like oomph. And I think this opening is actually Anybody can die kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's a fucking waste. I will say there are two things I noticed in, in addition to the BDSM thing. One, we get robbed from a Navy SEALs cotton weary movie unfortunately. And two, even though he's, uh, you know, 100% cotton is the show he's coming from, it's clear that he was also uh, on a guest star for Miami Vice. Because I was going to say the all white. It's all white, all white, no wardrobe. pastel Crockett over here. I don't know what the fuck. I just, uh. Well, I think that's indicative of how, how great he thought he was. He could just pull off the totally all white yeah. Both not just on camera, but even off camera. He like wears the same suit home. It's hilarious yeah. to me too. I mean, but he can pull it off. He like, does. He's he does. look. He's he's about hot. to marry Naomi Watts. Co- maybe, he, that has, right. maybe that has to do with the one hundred percent cotton thing because he yeah. generally associates oh, cotton yeah. with being white. But the fact yeah. that he's wearing it on his way home too is hilarious. He's <laughs> it's like it's like his part of his everyday wardrobe or something like that. Right. I kind of like that yeah. his ego. I like his that his ego, which is like a recurring element with him, is like the downfall for him because he's yeah. like. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, even like kind of, you know, he sidelines his girlfriend. He wasn't. <laughs> yeah, for he this plays world. on that ego, you know. And I like, I don't know. I've got more thoughts about him in another section, so I don't want to go too hard here. But like, I love him in this movie, and I think like he is a good kickoff. And I feel like if the rest of the movie were better, we wouldn't want him in the rest of the movie. Like, it's I kind of like that he's at the beginning. Like, if Scream One wasn't fantastic, maybe we would be saying the same thing about Drew Barrymore. Well, like, you know? what is your thought when mm-hmm. you're when you're in the theater in like 2000 and you see Cotton is in the first five minutes, you, you're like, oh shit. He's the killer. That and Okay, so th- this, is, this is my favorite kill of the movie because I feel like they pull that switch on you. You know, they're like, well, he's going to be the killer, especially given what um, happens at the end of Scream 2. And like, he is the obvious one. And I think he would be the obvious red herring also. And I love that they don't retread that ground and they just go ahead and they kill him, you know? I just... I just remember being shocked at like, oh, wow. All right, so he's going to be the one that dies. Because by then, you know the formula. Right. Like, you know that the people in the intro are going to die. Mm-hmm. And, so that's what I, just, I thought, too. When I saw him, I said, oh, he's, he's going to die. Yeah. That's where I was. And if they really want this to be like Jim was suggesting, then you don't have the first person you see die. That would have been yeah. kind of interesting, I think. Maybe he yeah. discovers the body, or like you said, of his girlfriend, and that kind of kickstarts things or something. I like that it's a guy in that scene, too. Yeah. I'll say this <laughs> until we see Scream 5. Uh, this is a little preamble for Scream Four, last great opening of this, the franchise because I think the oh the Scream like, Four opening. I like you've got like one thing to compare it to. I know <laughs> you do. Just like 10 that's just me. Sense. This is me to be able to put a pot shot into Scream Four because I'm not going to be on the episode, so I just wanted <laughs> to throw that out there. <laughs> Probably the best killer since the first one. That's my hot take for the fourth one. I don't know if that's a hot take, but uh, I, uh, we'll talk about it later. Next character, Putty. Putty. <laughs> yeah, he's Putty here. He's literally Putty. Yeah. Okay. Next character. <laughs> He's yeah. funny. He's funny. We Big talked drop. about Randy Meeks extensively and 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 Martha Meeks, Heather oh, Matarazzo. Yeah. By the way, you know Jamie Kennedy was credited in everything. It wasn't like it was some uncredited cameo. Like he, yeah. I'm sure he got paid a decent amount to show up again. I really love that too, considering that you know. I like that Heather Matarazzo. Yeah. 
Here is, oh, here's a funny story on Carrie Fisher from Parker Posey. And this was for Stream 3's 20th anniversary of the 2FAB interview Parker Posey. It's pretty interesting. A lot of it's just stuff we already know, but she said this about Carrie Fisher. She said, Whenever an actor on a big-budget movie is about to show up for work, the second AD asks if there's anything you'd like in your trailer. So when I knocked on her door and she answered, there were a few boxes of Fruit Loops and a carton of Marlboro Lights. I thought that's, <laughs> well, that's, that's perfect. That, that's that sounds that's like Carrie Fisher. Like Carrie Fisher. Hey, and she smokes, uh, she smokes my uh, usual choice of cigarette, too. How about that? So. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> um, let's celebrate that. No, uh, right. that's a wrap on Hollywood. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on the on the characters of this. Well, week. And don't worry. No, no. We are going to be talking about two more characters shortly. That I, I've not forgotten them. Trust me. OK, because I have a nice little fucking stupid section for that. So. Don't worry. <laughs> what do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> Great graphics. Always love that that bit. It'll never go away. From one of my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street entries, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Um, not really. <laughs> but let's talk about the special effects in this movie. I'll tell you what, not a lot of... We're not talking about, like, you know, Drew Barrymore and... What's the boyfriend's name in the beginning of Scream? Steve. Steve. You know, when his guts are coming out of his stomach and everything. Not a lot of that going on in Stream 4. I mean, it really was kind of diluted, if not just toned down, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think of special effects, Jen, you, t- you mentioned this off mic, the, uh, the house explosion. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really one of the only effects, aside from the helicopter, that we really get. And I think it looks fine. Like, it's, it's okay. It just doesn't it, feel like, Scream doesn't feel like an explosion movie franchise, you know? I agree. It's, it would be like if there was a Halloween movie where Michael Myers came out of a a house on fire and killed like six firemen or something like that. It just right. doesn't feel <laughs> yeah, like it's like, a <laughs> part of like slasher theory is that like you need a, like a close up weapon and it's like a penetrative yep. kind of thing. And it just, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's not, or I maybe it, 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 but... if it concluded with the house exploding, sure. Yes. It's really strange for this to happen at the hour mark. Right. Any other real big special effects stand up? I think, Oh Mike, you've got something. So it's kind of interesting because I did some research on who was the background for it. So like Rob Bala- Rob Bolanowski is special effects coordinator, and he's got a great career, um, great graphics, great career. Since then, he's done Lucifer, Big Little Lies, The Morning Show, Gone Girl, Cursed, West Craven Connection. And to keep it on the Scream Connection, he did Scary Movie 5, the great scary movie. <laughs> you should have led with that. Right. Yeah, but here's here's what's really important. So leading up to Scream Three, uh, he had done What Dreams May Come, which I think is a pretty. I mean, look, you could what, say what you will about the movie. I think it's a terrifying movie, but mm-hmm. it's about not giving up. Not giving up. <laughs> remember the trailer? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I it, you know, it's got it's hard for me because it's very Dante esque, and, mm-hmm. uh, and like they say, as is a Jew who went to Catholic school, had to read uh, the the Inferno. Not fun reading. I mean, between that, between the Inferno and, and Clerks, you know, tough <laughs> tough time for Dante's. Am I right? But here's here's important for you because I know you're a big fan of this, Justin. Mm. Uh, he. <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> wait. What's this he reveal also, gonna be? He also he also did the he also did the special effects for Mumford. Um, hey, you know what? I saw Mumford in theaters. Lawrence I Larry Kasdan. Yep. Starring that one guy. <laughs> oh him? Yep. And yeah. oh Jen though, you know who the, the his the love interest was? It was 
what's her name from Flatliners that Stephen <gasps> Baldwin's cheating on? Oh, oh um, the blonde girl. Who's a very good actor who's had a she very is. successful career, whose who's name absolutely escapes me at this moment. But you know what? We'll yes. talk about her in our Flatliners episode. Oh my gosh, yes, for sure. Five we'll eventually hours. do one. I so th- there, was, there was one other background thing that I thought was pretty cool, um, especially since we like to go in the background of production history and whatnot. But so Fantasy 2 film effects did the, the visual effects, which for the most part is the explosion. And it makes sense. Because they are also responsible for uh, Jen's favorite movie, uh, which is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Mm. Arguably the The greatest movie of all time. But also the greatest explosion probably of all time Mm -hmm. too, right? Yeah. I don't know. The building? Yeah. Yeah. The Lethal Weapon 3's got a pretty good one in Orlando. Lethal Weapon 3 is great. I will say, let me see if they actually did Lethal Weapon 3. That would be amazing if they did. No, they did not do Lethal Weapon 3. Mm. That was, uh, but that was directed by the late uh, Richard Donner. So. (laughs) I would give a shout out. (laughs) Wait, wait, hold on a second. Stop the press. I just thought uh, something. What the fuck were the special effects in Mumford? I know. Like, I, I, that's why I thought it was so funny. Like, wait, oh, yeah, that's right. The town blew up at the end. I forgot. I always forget about the post credit sequence. Sorry, oh, anyway. God. Yeah, they run out. Like, uh, it's, it's the, main, the main guy from Mumford. You hear him, like, voice over ADR over, like, Mumford. His, that's Mumford, right? Yeah, yeah. he's Mumford. The Tom titular Mumford. Mumford. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I thought the F- fantasy two film effects has a pretty great history. Um, they were established in the early eighties, they, but they specialize in miniature effects, which I got to give kudos to miniature effects. We don't really, you know what? Maybe I'm obsessed with this now. Maybe there's some like long shots of Mumford and it's just miniatures. It might be mm, possible. Mm-hmm. I got to rewatch Mumford now. I know. Hope Davis is the actor. Hope Davis. Thank you very much, Jen. But anyway, big Cameron heads. Uh, so they worked with pretty much Cameron on everything. They also worked on Scream 2. So, you know, we got sure. some there. I don't really know what they would do in Scream. Maybe the car accident? When the sure. cafeteria exploded, I think. <laughs> yeah. In Scream 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they also have some crossover with, uh, with the Losers Club because they did It 1990. Uh, and then they also did uh, 1994's The Page Master, which is a huge Stephen King classic. Big Stephen so. King property. Yes, yep. that's correct. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> well, that's pretty great, Mike. I did not know you were going to go there because usually I have got all the information listed for all these special effects and makeup geniuses, but because there really wasn't a lot, I didn't really want to <laughs> dive in. Yeah. You, you may, I was like, but hey, if somebody else wants to do the work, I'm always happy to hear it. <laughs> now I, I cannot believe that they worked. They have like, here's my CV Terminator 2, Dream 3, and Mumford. Mumford. <laughs> Which I believe was the same year. Wasn't that both? They must have been really busy between the, the special effects on Scream 3 and Mumford in you know, 2000. I think there's well, more special effects in Mumford than there are in Scream 3. I think you're absolutely there? right. There's got to be. Maybe they did some of the opening credits. Anyway, listen, I would love to talk about Mumford for two and a half hours, but uh, anything else? Mike, what do, you, what do you think about the special effects in this movie compared to the, the first two? Not a lot, right? No, oh, I, I can't even think of anything. Yeah, I'm, I, all- I can't. Perhaps. It all feels like late era <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth movies, where it was all yeah. cut out anyway. Yeah, that's a well, good you know, nothing memorable. Most like, of the deaths are by knives, like Josh Pace says in the movie, right? The, oof. He uh, got they stabbed. He was stabbed. He was stabbed. <laughs> the movie stabbed. He was stabbed. Or they're off-screen deaths. Like that's Which part of it is that a lot of it happens off-screen, or it's just like breaking glass, you know. Or people die, and you figure they didn't die because you don't see them hit the ground. Right. Like a certain yeah. character in this film, and then they are just dead. <laughs> okay, right. he's dead. Yeah. Bye bye. I mean, is this a time to talk about the, because you mentioned makeup, the hair wardrobe is. 
You know what? This why not? Because yeah. we really didn't talk about. Did we talk about the bangs? We mentioned uh, the bangs. Of. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about the bangs when we talked about Gail. But it's like somebody had a vendetta against her in this movie. I think like she just yeah. looks and is yeah. Yeah. That hot dog I mean, suit. I'm telling you that hot, hot dog suit. We did mention the hot dog suit. Yeah, it's like that scene in Parks and Rec when she's like, "And you're gonna have to wear a pew suit because it'll make you look bad." You know, it's like yeah, mm, yeah. It's, it's funny because I couldn't remember if we had talked about it. You would have thought we recorded the first part of this weeks ago or something. I know. It's, really I know. it's, it's <laughs> kind of wild. I mean, it's a wild, <laughs> what a roller coaster. I'm just right. glad. That, I'm just glad that like when you look at the landscape of the world today, like we're we're finally moving ahead. Everyone's vaxxed, and uh, we're not. You know, we don't have to go back to masks or anything. Right. You know, everything's uh, we're, great. We're definitely recording this in early August, and we, we have no problem. We have no problems with the world right now. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I joke, right and I part. kid. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, um, I will say it's funny because I feel like there have been some – there's got to be something out there if you Google it. I'm afraid to. I feel like most styles come back around, but I guess because the Bangs look in 2000 was out then. Yeah. It never really I, It's back. not that it's Bangs. It's just that they're too short. They're just yeah. bad. Well, I mean, Leah, I mean this particular look. Yeah. This particular look. Yeah, it, it was I don't think that particular bangs. look was – I don't think that particular look was ever really a thing. I and I don't, maybe it just. Well, that's what I'm saying. Good. It was never but, in. That yeah. was always out. Her whatever she was doing, whatever they had her doing, and it was was always out. So there was well, never it was really a like poor execution of a thing that lasted like maybe a couple of months, like baby banks that looked good on like five people. You know what well, was like? You know, they could use they could use Joe Borowski. What's his name? Like the special wait. Joe Borowski was a closer for the Cubs. Who's a special effects guy again? <laughs> What's his name? Uh, that Mumford. would be well. It was Mumford. It was Ron Bolanowski. Oh, excuse mm. me, Ron Bolanowski. They could use some special effects in those bangs. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's like in the nineties when every guy went and got the George Clooney cut. But True. like, yeah, George Clooney can wear that because he's fucking George Clooney. He looks yeah. good with it. Yeah, well, yeah. Jennifer it doesn't Aniston work on too. Everybody. The, yeah. the, the Rachel. Uh huh. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like. But here's the thing: I feel like everyone with the Rachel looks pretty. Like the George Clooney the Rachel's thing. Rachel's an easy haircut to work. It no, goes I try, out. I, no, I yeah. tried to do that in 96. It didn't, didn't, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't pull it off, I have to tell you. <laughs> you have to have like the right kind of wavy hair. I did. I had wavy hair Joseph. 25 years ago. I didn't look yeah. good. I'm just telling you. I mean, were you Vanderbilt, wearing the you outfits? Make it, now, Vanderbilt, your challenge is to Photoshop me in, in, with a Rachel haircut. Sorry. Jim, what were you saying? <laughs> I'm going to make I it look the like the uh, when you go to the barber shop and you see like the the five or six different hairstyles. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you just put your head underneath like the little face yeah, cut be, out to see if it'll look good on you. Do you want the yeah? <laughs> give, me, give me that, and then give me the bangs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Jen, what, what were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say, uh, you know, I may have mentioned it before, but Nev Campbell's hair also does not look great, and I think it was a wig because she was working on. I, I can't remember drowning. You know what? Mona. It was a wig. Yeah. Yes. So like, okay, she doesn't have to have short hair. Like you can make her have long hair. <laughs> you know, it's she got long hair in the first one. I know. It, it just look. It's like the kind of thing that you don't notice until you see it, and then it's all you can see when you look at her. Like in the back, you know, it just. I, 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 I agree, hundred percent. I, I never would have noticed it until I was, I was doing research, obviously, right. and then watching it now. Well, that's definitely. Yeah, I can't unsee it. I can't unsee it. The, the end of Streets of Fire is like that because they had to go back and reshoot the climax because it was originally supposed to end with a Springsteen tune, but mm. the rights didn't clear or something, so they had Simon write oh. "Tonight is what it used to be is to be young," and then they had to go back and like you'd never notice it when you're watching Streets of Fire before, but Diane Lane is wearing a very obvious wig. Well, I'll, now and I will then, know going right. ahead, and you'll the but finale. now and you will never unsee it. You will never mm-hmm. unsee it. That movie should have <laughs> ended with the "Dream About You" song. When they say goodbye to each other, that's when it should have ended. 
That's my hot take for Streets of Fire. <laughs> we'll be talking about Streets of Fire maybe one day. Who knows? Hey, I hope so. That, that um, 50 bucks. On 50 bucks. 50 if you bucks want to, if you talk want about to talk about Rick that. Moranis and... <gasps> Ooh. Um, is it Willem Dafoe in that movie? Yes, he is. Yes, he young, is. Oh, young Bill Dafoe. And Diane Lane? Diane Lane? Oh, yeah. She's... Oh, yes. Diane Lane's in this. Do sound she's like, like a, she's a pop star. You got you to check this movie out. I yeah, no, yes, I didn't. had never heard of it. So. I'll tell you this. I, I, I Great was soundtrack. Uh, Great soundtrack. months ago. I, had a, you know, I get up early in the morning. I had like a free trial for one of the, I don't know, like time or something like that, maybe. Unfaithful is on. Ooh. Oh, yeah. What a steamy one, one of the last great <laughs> erotic thrillers. Directed really? by mm-hmm. Adrian Lynn. Adrian Lynn. Adrian Lynn. Original Stand By Me director. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't remember what we talked about off mic or on mic. People are like, mic. who gives a shit? It's Adrian Lynn. Who cares? <laughs> okay. We, we got to move on to our next category. I've got a question for the three of you. And that question is Do you like scary movies? Do you want to die? Is that the best you can do? Because Billy and Stu were much more original. Well, folks, I hope you do. Because here's the funny thing about this movie. And not really funny, it's just a thing. And the fact is, is that we mentioned this earlier, I did, that Aaron Kruger isn't Mr. Pop Culture the way that Kevin Williamson is, right? So no. there really aren't. It, there really isn't an onslaught of pop culture, especially in the back half of this movie, that I really picked up on. I've got a couple of things. Let's go in the circle again. So we'll go, my Zoom screen is uh, it's me. Vanderbilt, Jen, Mike, Rothman. All right. So let's go like one by one with a, a movie reference or a pop culture reference that's in the movie. So the first thing I've got here is that Roger Corman is one of the Sunrise Studio ex- execs. Uh, Vanderbilt, what do you got? But you stole mine, you dirty. I son knew, of I, knew I, I'd step, I knew I'd step right <laughs> on you, of course. Of all the people, I'm like, yeah, take, take it. Pass, 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 pass. Pass. <laughs> Okay, I've got one. Um, And I don't think it was an intentional at all. But um, Cotton's girlfriend is named Christine. Oh, yes, from Stephen King's Christine. Yeah, I don't think it was intentional. But but to be fair, her last name was Dakar. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Christine Dakar. (laughs) Christine Dakar. (laughs) Christine bad to the bone Dakar. Yes. Well, I will say, you're right, Jen. All the the names... (laughs) have yeah. references to you know they do they bigger do. stars and that was like pretty much the most overt thing that he brings to the table which is agreed kind of and i feel like he thinks it's real clever and I know. Um, exactly it's like oh people think this is people know what seven is right i spoiled like, one but jennifer jolie is funny but then everything else is like me too much i love yeah. the alliteration of jennifer jolie. i do too i mean you know, if there's one thing I love, it's alliteration. I love alliteration. Love some good rhetoric. Speaking <laughs> of rhetoric, maybe let's see what we've got. Any rhetoric for this next uh, tidbit coming from Mike Rothman? Rhetor- oh, rhetoric Rothman over here. Um, well, I have a big. Are we saving the Viewersk universe? Uh, we gotta for save later, it for right? last. Okay, okay, we'll save it for last. One thing I thought was interesting is that so Sydney kills uh, her her brother, half brother, right? Half brother. Yep. Yeah. Uh, with an ice pick. Mm. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Basic, basic instinct, uh, which was mentioned in the first scream. So that's right, Mike. You know, it's interesting that you bring up basic instinct. Oh, why so? Well, we'll be doing basic instinct for September. Oh wow! Ooh. How about that? Yeah. What's great about basic instinct is that it's not problematic and nothing is dated about it. So it's going to be a straight <laughs> shot. No, no heavy analysis. It's going to be yep. a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Face it. Dive in with the ice pick. Take away. <laughs> okay. That's a good one, Mike. Um, okay, I've got one. There's, there is a uh, something we need to talk about here. There are multiple references to the show 60 Minutes 2, which was the spinoff to 60 Minutes. I think it was on Mondays or Wednesdays back in the day. It only lasted like five or six years. So you want to have like dated references. I feel like to, to, to mention it multiple times, you would have thought this was something in the public zeitgeist or something, you know, like mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a hollow institution of 60 minutes too that will never be forgotten, but it's been forgotten folks. It was literally yeah. only a year and two months old. Yeah. A year and one month old when this references were The Miramax be- found 60 Minutes 2 or something? <laughs> uh, it's like Kruger's favorite show and he wanted to like get on it or something. Aaron Kruger, uh, yeah. That's, they, they loved Arlington Heights. They did profile uh, of them. Here are some correspondents that were on 60 Minute 2. Christine Amapor, Charles Grodin, and Chicago's own Carol Marine. Well, rest in peace to Charles Grodin. And bingo, if you thought we would mention Charles Grodin on the Scream 3 episode. Congratulations yeah. to you out there. We'll be sending you a t-shirt. Well, <laughs> okay. There, there's also the, the not at all problematic uh, Charlie Rose and Dan Rather. Mm. Both upstanding Dan Rather, gentlemen. not. Uh, uh, <laughs> Charlie Rose to fall. Am I right? Oh, uh, Lord. Okay. Okay. Uh, Fredbo, do you have anything else here? Uh, I've got a couple more. I, I was we thinking about uh, 100% cotton. Like, People might not remember how big Jerry Springer was in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. At That's this a good moment. point. That's and, definitely uh, a reference to that. And talk, talk shows. And I think it's really a reference probably to Springer because he was the hottest thing going at that time. But the I don't afternoon remember, syndicated talk show was huge. Yeah. And I believe this was after the Jenny Jones controversy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think Jenny Jones controversy, for all of you who want to have a really good night tonight, uh, Wikipedia, that I think it was like 94 or something like that. Yeah, there's an episode yeah. of Trial by Media yeah. about that that's really good. Everything turned out great. Don't worry about it. It's, it's not a downer story, I think, I promise. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, it's, it's uplifting. It's uplifting as the ratings for 60 Minutes 2. <laughs> Is this the, okay. the murder of Scott Abitur? Okay, that's the one. Thank you, Mike. Speaking <laughs> of murder, Sarah mistakes Psycho's shower scene for Vertigo. Yeah. Classic. What a classic, great bit. Classic bit. Great that's a Wes career. Carpenter movie, right? That sure is. <laughs> oh, that's actually, a... I wanted to bring that up. Why? Why isn't Wes Carpenter like Milton or something like that? No, I think that that was just her getting Wes Craven and John Carpenter mixed up. I don't think but it it's really funnier. is a Wes Craven. Or Wes it would Carpenter. be. It would be funny in terms of a trilogy if you realized that Wes Carpenter was a real. Yeah, that right? would have been a great mm-hmm. bit. Director, yeah. that's funny. That's funny. I agree. Yeah. Because what we have here, another reference, of course, is that. Such a specific name, you know, Lance Henriksen plays John Milton. Now, John Milton wrote Paradise Lost, uh. which, of course, tells the true story of Adam and Eve. So, I mean, that's uh, mm. there's another mm-hmm. reference for you there. Yeah. How, do you think that was intentional? Like, that's I was trying to think about that. Know, I, like, do I, think I was the diving in, is but that smart? I don't think so. I don't. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, it's such a weird name to use. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe Kruger's a big Milton head, and he knows more than I don't. Maybe. Mm-hmm. He's a um, Behind the Mask fan, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Mason if, Verger head. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, Kruger, the same year, rates Reindeer Games. Games has a lot of twists and turns. Really awful movie, by the <laughs> There's way. There's eight Reindeer, right? Yeah, there are eight Reindeer. <laughs> and, Is that John uh, Frankenheimer's last movie? I don't know if it's... No, because Ronan came out after that. Right? Or no, maybe uh, Ronan, Ronan was, Ronan was after. Ronan was before. 
We're making more references on, on this commentary than no, he did the whole movie. <laughs> he did a short film called Ambush. So that doesn't count. Thank, that. thank God. No, it was his last movie. Wow, Ronan should have been his last movie. Yeah, Ronan's a little long, but some good car chases in that. Okay. Gail says, Jennifer, I'm sorry things didn't work out with Brad Pitt. Now, what mm. makes it extraordinarily awkward is that eventually things would not work out for Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt. And Jennifer Jolie, of course, Angelina Jolie is who Brad Pitt would move on to. So, uh, yeah. And that was, kind of this was before, right? Well, this was before all that. Yeah. yeah. They, they, were, yeah. they were still married at this point. It wasn't until like 2004, 2005 when they did Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, I got one. Karen Kolchak. Who Randy bangs. Wait, who? who oh. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a reference to Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh, oh I like call. that. I like that. Good call. That's, a, that's a kind of a deep cut for Mr. Kruger there. That's not bad. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's not a deep cut. I think we've been mentioning it earlier. Somebody mentioned it earlier. Uh, the killings remind Mark of the film Seven and of the character Hannibal Lecter. Oh, my God. Just the <laughs> fucking worst. Deep cuts. Uh-huh. That's like... <laughs> it's like... T- <laughs> Tell uh, me you know nothing about horror movies without yeah. telling me you know nothing exactly. about horror movies. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so hey, is Silence of the Lambs a horror movie, guys? I don't oh, want to know. Here we go. <laughs> it's like Manhunter Part 2. Manhunter Part 2. Yeah. The thriller of a horror part movie. Two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jen, you want some more alliteration? Oh, yeah. Always. Bianca Burnett. A dead ringer for Carrie Fisher. Which is actually made an illusion. Oh. Yeah. Carrie Fisher plays Bianca Burnett, and they say she looks like Carrie Fisher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. But they literally say it out loud, which is even more, okay, we got it, we got it. Okay. Yeah. I have a question about that character. Would it have been funnier if they just said it was Carrie Fisher and she was working at, like, you know, file? <laughs> I, I think that would be pretty like funny that. if she was, a, for some reason, Carrie Fisher, and they could have done a parody, like she's bottomed out, and she's now working at this. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. costuming or, department or something funny like that. She's got they she's never make, They never even mention it. They're like, aren't you? And she goes, no. Or, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's implied that. But it's you Carrie look just Fisher. like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You look just like Princess Leia. They say something that's pretty on the nose. Yeah, and then she's like, I didn't want to sleep with, with George Lucas. George Lu- yes, yeah, so I want to sleep with George Lucas. It's a Lucas. funny bit. That's like, a funny bit. I guess it would have okay. been really funny though if she had like a poster for like Drop Dead Fred in the background. And she's <laughs> wow, good callback. Fisher, you know. <laughs> I think the guy who plays Drop Dead Fred passed away a couple years ago. Let me look that yeah. up. Fred? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Um, Rick Mayall. I, I, I made a huge he, mistake. He passed away a couple years. Thank you very much. Yeah. From from the the uh, the young ones, right, or the and uh, shock treatment, the sequel Rocky Horror. Give me, been, give me shock treatment. It's been uh, thirty years since Drop Dead Fred, by the way. We should do a episode of Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> My horrifying memories Why of watching not? it. Why not? Um, okay, Mike. Let's let's have this discussion now. So, of course, there is one one of the worst. I'll just say it. I think it's one of the worst cameos in the history of movies. Yes. Go ahead, Mike. Take it away, Rothman. Jay and Silent Bob. Sure do. They show up. I, I think it's like, what, 15, 20 minutes into the movie. They just get to Hollywood. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or here's Jay and Silent Bob. So, obviously, the, the big question is, so does this take place during, you know, the great Jay and Silent Bob strike back? Because if mm. you think, uh, you know, strike back, they seem pretty overwhelmed by Hollywood, the entire experience. So it would be, you know, you'd assume that this would be their first time there. And you would assume if they're on the set lot, you know, or the back lot for where Stab 3 is shooting, they're ostensibly looking for the production for the Jane Silent Bob movie that's in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Again, remember, the classic Miramax film that, that was released in the summer of 2001, a year after this, and uh, hilarious, right? So I thought about it, 
And if you look at the timeline for the Viewsk universe and also the Scream universe, yes. shocker, they don't line up. Uh, they're, they're off by like literally like nine months, hashtag Hugh Grant. Um, so you get like, so if you look at it, like Dogma's <laughs> 99, it already came out. So if you can, so even if you did consider the fact that the Viewsk universe does take place in the Scream universe, then that would mean that you would have to admit, wholly admit, that there was literally a battle between God and angels like six months or se- you know seven months before the events of Scream, which is ridiculous to think. But hey, that's what we're doing. So technically, according to, and if you think about it, this does take place in the summer of 2000. And according to notes, and obviously eyewitness, if you watch the movie, in Roman's production office, there is a calendar that says July and August of 2000. Mm. And he says that he tracked down Maureen Prescott four years ago. It was in 96. And you also have to think of the fact that uh, Scream 4 also references these events in the same window, which we'll obviously get to eventually. And we should, we honestly, months. I never thought about it, but we should have had a, you know, a time and place like we did for Friday the 13th because I didn't think about it, but I guess this, the, the events, the timeline of events for Scream is a little mismanaged. Um, it's well, what's, crazy. what's baffling to me is that had we, had we stood how pivotal the Viewsk universe was to the Scream yeah. franchise, we, we could have started covering this from the screen. We could have been like, hey, does this take place during Mallrats? You know, does this know. take place during Facing Amy? Is there a well, finger cuff situation happening here? I don't know. It's, the, the, the problem is not in Wes Craven's lap. Wes Craven problem. was... The problem look, isn't... Craven is not responsible <laughs> for this time paradox. Mm-hmm. It's Kevin Smith. Because here's the, here's the deal. Kevin Smith should have known at this point. He really should have known considering he plays Silent Bob. He's in the movie. He should have known that when he was making Strike Back that he needed to make references not to 2001 movies but 2000 movies. So here's the problem. In Strike Back, there are references to Bring It On X-Men, Bagger Vance, and All the Pretty Horses, which were all released after Scream 3. Then you could also see ads in Strike Back, James Bond Strike Back, for Freddy Got Fingered, which would be released in 2001, great film, Shaolin Soccer, which is 2001, and the great Brett Ratner joint, Rush Hour 2, which is also in 2001. So it doesn't really make any sense time-wise and then well, when you also, and if you think about it, the, like you were saying, Justin, all those references in the Viewsk universe up to that point would exist in Scream. Now that would be fine if you didn't consider dogma. The fact that there's this like biblical battle. Well, is, here's like, something else that's even more of a, a of a conundrum that yeah. we can't even get into here because we'll have to save this for obviously we'll talk about uh, the Viewsk universe for our Basic Instincts episode, <laughs> and that is as you re- may recall. There is a whatever happened to segment at the end of Mallrats. And one of those is of Jay and Silent Bob holding hands with Suzanne the monkey, the orangutan. Yep. That's implied that that takes place at some point in Jay and Silent Bob. Strike back. Strike back. Or take place sometime during Scream 3. That's that's the real question. Because Scream 3, of course, came out in between Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And mall rats. So yep. did the did strike back screw everything up? I think so. Time will tell. <laughs> Speaking of time. Yeah, go for- oh wait. <laughs> we got distracted. <laughs> First of all, Mike, 
incredible detail, especially with the references that you. What was you said? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all the pretty horses, like yeah, everything like, that screws on. everything up. Yeah. The timelines destroyed oh, yeah. once again. Yeah, the great Bagger Vance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you saw this trailer or this trailer, this scene in Scream Three in theaters, Mike Rothman, were you expecting it? I wasn't expecting it, and it was a surprise. And I'm sure at the time, because I still love Dogma and I hadn't seen Strike oh, Back. I did too. I was probably like, I, I just don't remember, but I probably was like, oh, okay, cool. But now it's like, after Strike Back, after everything that's followed, especially Clerks 2, I, I can't stand it. Like, this is just awful. Jen, what was yeah. your reaction? Dumb I don't Jen. remember having a reaction at the time, but I'm sure it was like, ugh. Please. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan at the time. Um, but th- this is what makes it feel like scary movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a, little a good point. Wink, wink, yeah. you a little know? too much referen- referential treatment. And if there were more, then it would... F- but it just feels out of, the, out of the blue also, you know? Like, the Carrie Fisher cameo is not the same as this, you know? Exactly, because that's just a new character as opposed to pre-existing IP. Yeah, this is like the equivalent of, like... Christine being driven by Cujo like downtown yes. to pick up Church the Cat. You know? I mean, like it's forgivable to have a character named Christine Dakar, you know? Right, exactly. That's but, not literally but Christine Dakar. is too know? far. <laughs> Bill, I've got this awful feeling in my soul that you're going to come off the top <laughs> rope with. You know what? Actually, this is the best part of Scream 3. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in there. It's fine. It's not the I worst guess. thing. It's not the worst thing in there. What do you I think? Mean, I mean, I. I just it's I just don't care. That's a good point. I, I suppose <laughs> yeah. about it. I don't even think I cared about it in 2000 because I think by at that point I was kind of tuned out of Kevin Smith. Yeah, you were nonplus. This was you were just kind of <laughs> like, oh, that's 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 good. That's, that's, that's kind of funny, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Gail chuckle now, with everybody else and say, okay, let's move the story along. If you could remove Gail's bangs or Jay and Silent Bob, which one would you choose? Oh, jeez, Gail's bangs because it infects the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. You can't, like get, that. away yeah. Yeah. can't Although, get away from the like, bangs. Yeah. Although, like, it's just such a known thing at this point. It kind of almost has come back around to be charming, I guess, for me. I think I'd rather take away the hot dog suit, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I, I just, yeah. it's just that it's coupled together, it's too much. Mm. You know, it's just too much. Oh, another reference um, Jay mistakes scale for Connie Chung. Oh, funny. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Connie Chung, another CBS anchor at one point. A lot of CBS references here. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. Is CBS uh, and Miramax together? No, I don't think they were ever affiliated. Uh, Who knows? Okay. Oh, well. I'm sure that there were some good uh, 60 Minutes exposés on the producer of, of Scream 3, though. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I probably wouldn't take away... Gail's bangs, but maybe we could have uh, made our favorite duo be our favorite kill. Ah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mike. <laughs> Let's go to the next section called Movies Make Psychos More Creative. Stop it, Billy, would you? All right, I can't take any more. I'm feeling woozy here. Mike Vanderbilt, you've been chomping at the bit. <laughs> Talk about your favorite kill from 2000's Scream 3. What is it? It's the Jenny McCarthy kill because it's the only yeah. one that actually makes good on the themes of the film and of the series at whole. Because with all the multiple ghost face costumes and the rubber props 
that are involved in the whole sequence. It's the the best one and most memorable one out of a bunch. You tell me another way somebody else gets killed right now. Name one. <laughs> You're right. Listen, I, you can't I, I, do I'll it. just I'll just jump on top of yours there and agree with you because I feel like it's the only kill that utilizes the Hollywood setting. Yeah. Right. I think everything else is just kind of somebody getting stabbed at a house. You know what I mean? It could have been any other. Could have been any other slasher die? movie. I got. How one. does she die? She stabbed. She gets doored to death. She gets doored. Class, a classic dooring. Yeah. But the event, I guess the, you know, like a movie clips on YouTube, like you know, scene four out of ten, uh-huh. X happens. This would be a good movie clips section from that yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Good I, sequence. Good yeah. Sequence. yeah. I was definitely juggling between that or what I think is the most creative kill is is the explosion. Um, oh, with the facts and everything yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's kind of a prelude to Saw, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, just mm-hmm. the way that it goes down with the fax machine and the way that he lights it and he kind of sets his own demise. I mean, we talked about the the intricacies of that death and how ridiculous it is because, you know, you're really counting on him just using a lighter. But... It's pretty cool. I mean, it's 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 memorable, and I like the I, I like the commentary of the fax machine being the death of you, which is a Hollywood idiom. Also, it kind of feels <laughs> like, but mm. I don't know. I agree. And it, it fits it fits into the third. Uh, you know, everything's got to be bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that really ties that scene together, obviously, is Bob Janikowski's special effects work. Mike, is that right? Is it Bob Janikowski? <laughs> uh, well, uh, once again, uh, it was Mumford Star. Ron Bolanowski. I'm going to get this right before it's over. Ron, Ron, Ron. Bol- Bolanowski. Yeah, like Captain Ron. Oh, Ron. I love that movie. Oh. Yeah, good movie. Okay, yeah. Jen, what's um, the guy's name again? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I agree with you. I like the Jenny McCarthy death. I, I think I like the setup to that better than the actual death. I kind of yeah. lose track of what's going on when she actually dies, and I think the killing blow is a little unclear. So that's why I kind of take points off. But I like Cotton's death is my oh, favorite, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that setup. It's And I mean, again, like, the bar is very low in this movie, you know, to be the best one. So, like, but I like it because if you were to ask me, like, if I saw the preview for Scream 3 and I had no idea what the movie was going to be about, I would be like, oh, well, Cotton might be the killer. Or Cotton is, like, a nefarious person. Like, he's going to be a red herring. And I like that they take that away immediately, that they make mm-hmm. – I like that there's a boy being chased – or a man, I guess, being chased. I like – like, I, I even kind of like the way that they use what if in that scene, you know, even yeah. though it's kind of a cheesy song. Like, I like how the the beat drops and then it never comes back in. Um, so I, I like that one a lot. Okay, let's talk about, let's give our final thoughts. We're going to go to the section that we call One Last Scare. Brittany said the killer's always superhuman. Yeah, well, he wasn't superhuman, Dewey. He wasn't superhuman at all. All right, well, so yeah, for One Last Scare, we're going to give our final thoughts on 2000 Scream 3. And I guess we're going to do this five ghost masks, right? Does that sound about right? Five father time, grandfather time masks or something? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Be, be very specific. We take this very seriously, Mike <laughs> Vanderbilt. So go ahead. What do you think? Um, I think this is the... Three and three is the closest audience have gotten to Joe Dante's abandoned Jaws 3 People Zero in <laughs> going full-on parody for an entry in a series. 
and it, it tackles the themes of the series with the sort of analysis of the slasher genre uh, around this time, uh, along with the concept of the trilogy, better than Scream 2 does with sequels and better than Scream 4 does with whatever Scream 4 was doing. Uh, Scream 3 is similar, I think, to Elm Street 5 or Freddy's Dead, where you see a successful franchise just running out of steam as pop culture begins to shift because it's so kind of tied to a certain place in time. But that said, in hindsight, it is fun. It is funny. And while it requires a lot of suspension of disbelief, uh, it's so obnoxious and over the top with the saga of the Prescott family, which is obviously a reference to Star Wars. I think most of the trilogy rules are references to Star Wars at this point, because I can't really think of what else they're playing with here. Um, but if you let it all overtake you, uh, I think you can have a good time with it. And I think the climax with Sydney defeating Roman puts a pin in one of the series' main themes that movies don't make psychos and that you do this because you choose to. So three ghost masks out of five. Real five? Okay. Better, than, um, better than two, not, n- nowhere near as good as one. Better than two. Oh, my God. <laughs> what this a is, fucking hey, hot take. This is, this is what we're here for. I love it. I love it. Mike Rothman. Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny cause I was, I was thinking about this and I'm, a lot of this is going to be redundant from the stuff I discussed in our round table with Jen uh, last year when we did it with the, the horror queers for, uh, my former site. I think what's funny about Scream 3 is that for a film that's about the bastard child of the franchise, it, it's ultimately the bastard entry of the fan, the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, you've asked any fan, um, I think they'll, I mean, with the exception of Vanderbilt, <laughs> I feel like they would all sit, pretty much say that this is kind of like the blemish a little bit. Like it's the one that like, eh, it might have gone a little too far or maybe it's a little, it's the outlier. It's the black sheep. Mm-hmm. It's not, doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's the black sheep. It's definitely, it's, it's out of line with everything else. And I kind of like that about it in a way in hindsight. Um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of reasons why this doesn't work as well. I mean, you could blame it on Columbine, uh, a lack of Kevin Williamson, um, Creed soundtrack, but I, I, I just there's a, there's a malaise to this film that has never really sat well with me. It's just not really sexy, you know. Like, and I think that you look at the first one, the second one, and they're fucking sexy. Like, and even the fourth one, for you know, for all the qualms I have about it, there's a sexiness to it. This one isn't. It's it's campy, it's tacky, it's self indulgent, um, and it kind of feels like a $40 million back part, a backlot party in a way. Like it, it, it just kind of feels, and, and, and I know that's a negative that's negative, but like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I still think it's really fun. You know, like I, I think it's pop horror. Like that's the, that's what I would call it. I would call it pop horror. And it's like pop horror in the grandest sense, you know? And I think even though it's like a total major stumble from the epic highs of the first two, which is, you know, what we talked about, like Kruger basically said as much It's like, all right, look, there's only so much you can do with the movie. That's so self-aware. I still think there's some gems here. Like, and I think that, you know, I don't think it's skippable. You know, like this isn't Halloween resurrection and it's not new blood. (laughs) It's not Freddy's dead. And, you know, I think this is probably, as I said in in that piece, like I think this is the greatest worst sequel of a franchise. Like, and I think that's a cool title to have, especially when you consider the, the timing it came out in. I mean, it came out in like 1999 and 2000, like, which is like one of the worst eras for, for horror, if you really think about it. So I think, you know, all things considered, could have been a whole lot worse. And, <laughs> and I think the, the fact that we spent like four fucking hours here, at, almost like talking about it, says a lot that there's a lot to love here. And, and mm-hmm. it's two words for me, Parker Posey. So 
And Parker Posey really gives this, uh, gets it to three. I'm going to go three also. Um, you know, I, I, that's, I think that's pretty um, generous for the movie. <laughs> but, you know, there I am. You're a very generous man. Generous man, you know. There's Let's a see if solitary we've got a man. More alliteration. Let's see if we've got a generous gen. Generous oh, gen, nice. Gen, what do you think? I, there's a lot that I really love about this movie. Um, I think my biggest problem with it is that it's just a mess. Like it feels like there's no like cohesion, you know, and it doesn't because there are things that I absolutely love. There are things that I hate, you know, like I love Sydney's story in this um, and I love Maureen's inclusion in the story but i hate how it's handled you know i love the concept of a lot of things like i i I think in better hands in more sure script writing hands this could be a fantastic movie i feel like it just is trying to it's trying to be like two or three different movies and it never quite falls into one thing like i love parker posey i like the idea of Sorry, can you hear it storming here? Ooh, oh creepy. wow! Is yeah. that really the storm? I was that's wondering the what that thunder. Was. Yeah, that's that thunder and lightning. That is crazy. I know yeah. it's You're giving so me happy. power. I know, I, I really thought, am. Yeah, I thought that that was an effect by Ron. Uh, it is. <laughs> Rob Janowski. <laughs> well, I've got Terminator Two playing in the background, so that's, uh, oh, that's nice. part of it. Nice. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I just feel like it's it's like it's interesting. Like I've really enjoyed talking about it because what I love about it is there's so much to dig into and there's so much to um, <laughs> to like talk about and pick apart. And you know, at the end of the day, the worst scream movie is still a scream movie. You know, mm-hmm. like exactly. I still do yeah. really love it. There's a lot that I, I love. I can even um, like forgive Courtney Cox's bangs, you know. Um, so I'm going to give it uh, I'm going to give it three and a half with a uh, side of baby bangs. Oh, baby bangs, like literal, yeah. like infants like who have grown baby up their bangs. hair to have bangs. <laughs> no, like, the, like tragically cut short baby bangs, I guess. Okay. I could pretty much pick and choose from. That all three of you have said, I, I think for me, when you factor in explosions that this movie has, the multiple set pieces, the multiple chases, this could be the most active entry of the franchise, of all four movies. But for me, despite that, it's still the least engaging mm-hmm. somehow. You know, I don't think it's boring. There's something always happening. I just don't necessarily care that it's happening throughout a lot of the movie. I think that there really is a spirit missing. I think, Jen, you kind of alluded to that. And that spirit becomes more and more apparent every time you watch it. And I've watched it a couple times this year. And I mentioned earlier, it really did feel like a roller coaster because I really just hated this movie 20 years ago. And a few months ago, I watched it again. I thought, you know, actually, it's pretty good. But then I watched it again after that, really kind of analyzing it and dissecting it, as it were. Dabbing at it, as the detective <laughs> might make an inference to. And there are just more holes than I maybe uh, I convinced myself there wasn't. Having said that, hey, Mike, you said it. This is still better than any of the worst entries of any other horror franchise that we've discussed so far and probably would discuss in the future. Yeah. I can't imagine, well, I'll tell you right now, because I would give this, I would still give this a two and a half grandfather FaceTime. <laughs> Ghost face, <laughs> FaceTime masks out of five. But there are other entries in other franchises I would give a straight up, you know, one, two. Yeah. This is still like four times better than Halloween Resurrection. Oh, <laughs> like, easily. I mean, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Um, and I will say this. So I, I do think that Roman of all of the four movies makes for the least compelling villain of all of these. And Absolutely. I've seen Mickey and Scream too. So <gasps> keep so that in mind. Hot. 
Um, he's uh, you know Timothy Oliphant's you know he's he has, Timothy Oliphant hasn't get, hasn't he never aged. Now his hair's just gotten less spiky. It really has. He's just a little grayer. Yeah, a little grayer as it were. Ooh. Well, we did it. And what the incredible thing is, we did all of this in one sitting. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that great? We're really focused, and nothing was done out of order that had no. to be rejiggered by the incredible, our, our hero for all of these episodes, May Schultz. Doesn't it kind of suit the movie that we're talking about? You know though? what, yeah. May? I know you're listening to this part. This is why we did it for you, because we wanted to have you understand just how difficult the production <laughs> of Scream 3 truly was. And on that note, I'd like to thank Mike Vanderbilt, Jen Adams, Mike Rothman, and of course... Mumford Special Effects <laughs> Mountain Man. What's the name, Mike? Oh God, I already closed my notes. It's 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 Ron something. I can't remember anymore. Well, you look it up while I start to while I start to prop up everything else. Uh, listen, folks, you should definitely check out our Patreon page, which is patreoncom pod. We've got so many more episodes of non-franchise movies, so many commentaries up there of non-franchise movies and franchise movies and movies we've covered. You know, in our other main feed episodes. And what else do we have over there? We've got, um, what else do we have over there? Commentaries. Maybe we're we got talking rentals. About <laughs> rentals. Where we talk about, yeah, nonstop. But we, anyway, have, we have a giant ode to Ron Bolanowski. Ron, <laughs> Ron Bolanowski. Thank you, sir. And you can also catch me and, and Mike Rothman and, and Jen over at the old Losers Club. And I'll let the two of them discuss that shortly in, in greater detail. Mike Vanderbilt, where else can people find you? Just, uh, besides, of course, the great social media <laughs> platform that is Twitter. I, I pretty much just spend all my time on Twitter now. You can find me there at Mike Vanderbilt, or you can find me at the Rock Island Public House, 10 and Bar on weekends, or you can find me at Windy City Double Feature Picture Show on Twitter and Apple Podcasts and all that, where we... Everybody's heard me talk about it, I'm sure, at this point, where we take a double feature to play in the Chicagoland area and uh, explore the movies and the theaters that it played at and everything else that was going on around town. It's a lot of fun. And we got our first live event coming up uh, as we're recording this, where we're showing Harold and Maude in a locally produced Chicago short called The Medusa Challenger featuring Joe Montaigne. Oh, Joe Montaigne, Chicago's own. Well, wait, is Joe Montaigne going to be there? Uh, we were working. We could. We were trying to get him for like a like a Q and A, but it just didn't work out with the setup. He's a very. But he's pretty good friendly. He's pretty easy. Yeah, to, he's very friendly. Pretty like easy to get him. But from what I've heard on interviews, he seems to be very friendly. The villain of Godfather Three. Okay, Mike Rothman. Uh, well, uh, he's also the hero of Thinner, which is a mm-hmm. Stephen King movie. Uh, <laughs> also, Todd. <laughs> Todd Holland, he is the hero for me because he uh, took a shitty character in that Bachman story and made him great. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna put on a, I'm gonna put on a leather jean jacket here, a leather <laughs> jacket. I'm gonna make things happen. I'm I'm Richie Janelli. Um, <laughs> it's another really low uh, bar. Yeah. It is a low bar for sure. Um, anyway, but yeah, no, I mean we got a lot of stuff coming up. We uh, we just uh, cemented our month uh, for our, our offerings for our offerings. <laughs> our we've just solidified our content calendar for September. It's going to be great. We got a lot of spooky stuff coming uh, at your way. Um, all of which you can see at our socials, Losers Club Pod, and uh, all across the socials: uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, we'll say. Uh, one of uh, at least one of us is uh, on this pod is going to be uh, going to Shawshank uh, mm. next month. So 
Get, get there. Who's get it there. gonna be? Yeah. <laughs> Tune in and find out. Okay. Uh. Jen, where else can people find you? Uh, you can find me on socials at Jim Ferratu with two N's and you can find me on um, Losers Club we just talked about and Psychoanalysis, um, a horror therapy podcast with Laura Unterstall, who was on the Scream 2 episode and Mike Zunian, who I believe was on Jason Goes to Hell, I think. Yes, um, yes. So we talk about horror movies and mental health, and we just finished an episode on Event Horizon, which I fucking love, and we're about to talk about, I'm, I'm not sure I'm totally supposed to announce this yet, but whatever. Um, we're going to be talking about objectification with Assassination Nation and the original Maniac, which I'm really excited about. Love Maniac. Interesting yes. pairing, yes. I know, yeah, and so, yes, I'm very excited about that. And then, yeah, there was something else I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was, so... Not important. <laughs> it was probably the most important thing. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and if you like hearing me talk about Nev Campbell, then um, the White Ladies in Crisis podcast is going to be talking about another movie. I don't know if I'm supposed to announce yet, but we're going to talk about Wild Things soon. So. Oh, yeah. I love Wild Things. A wild Miami movie. Yeah. Oh, I remember the other thing. We had a whole arc on psychoanalysis <laughs> about Sydney, mm. Sydney's arc. So check that out. Lots yeah, of Yeah, and Jan there. again, uh, Lara, who was on screen too, like you said. It's also mm. on that yeah. episode. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So if you can't get enough scream, scream and scream again. Am I right, yeah. everybody? <laughs> okay. That's going to do it for this episode. Like I said, next month on the main feed, we're going to be taking a trip to Pencilltown? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Okay. Close enough. At California, I believe. The West Coast. The sure. West Coast. We're going to go to the West Coast. Probably not Oregon. And we're going to be talking about Catherine Trammell. Uh, Michael Douglas's interesting sweaters. Yes. Ooh. And ice picks. And some hot, steamy sex. <laughs> That's right. I'm talking about <laughs> Mumford. 2000 <laughs> Mumford, directed by Lawrence. Now, we're going to be talking about Basic Instinct, directed by Paul Verhoeven, and written by absolutely scandalous Joe Esterhaus. What a scandalous guy. Well, I yeah. can't wait to dive into these people's careers. That's going to be a very fun episode. And, Mike, what else do we have coming up uh, on the Patreon? We're going to have the, another James Wan joint. We do. We are going into, oh, God, is this our third James Wan movie this year? I think it is. It is. Yeah. So, we did, we, so we did Saw. We did The Conjuring. And you asked for it. You requested it, in fact. Dead Silence we're going to be doing next month. Um, so, uh, yeah. Do we know what our commentary is going to be for next month? We do. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I believe it's going to be Child's Play. Ooh, Chris yeah. Tommy, a Tom Holland joint. Not yeah. no, no, not Spider Man. Tom Holland, <laughs> the director. Tom Holland. You kids. <laughs> you little rats. <laughs> Anything little else rats. before we sign off? I think we've. What else could we possibly say? <laughs> I know. I was going to say. You know? If you, if anybody out there, if anybody else out there can find a more in depth discussion about Scream Three, please hit Mike Vanderbilt up on socials. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, it. and on that note, a slight whistle. <laughs> Love it. It's back. And on that note, we'll be, be right, right back. back. This has been a bloody disgusting show.
Thanks for tuning in. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>